Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Thanks for the download, the stream, the click, the listen, whatever you're doing. Thank you for being a part of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And now you can even be a bigger part of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. You can see it in the flesh, baby, live and in living color. If you're living here in New York City, if you're traveling to New York City, be there October 24th. That's a Tuesday night at 8 p.m. because Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast is coming back to the Highline Ballroom. If you missed it the first time, you've got a chance to see a live show right now. If you were there the first time, you know how exciting it was. Watch the video for yourself on YouTube, youtube.com slash notsam. This time, October 24th, I have Bully Ray, formerly known as Bubba Ray Dudley, there with me. One of my favorite guests on the podcast will be a part of the live show October 24th at the Highline Ballroom. And yes, he will be there with me for the meet and greet. If you want to meet myself and Bully Ray, if you want to hang out with us for a little while, get a picture, get an autograph, chit-chat, ask questions about wrestling, and then be a part of a live Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast with Bully Ray All you have to do is go to HighlineBallroom.com, get your tickets right now, and in the meantime, why don't you uh, enjoy the show? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Yeah, what an announcement to make to start the show, huh? Another live event, another live Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast coming to New York City. I hear you guys that want me to do it elsewhere, and we will. We will go around the country and hopefully around the world. I would love for this to be a global brand, a global traveling brand. But right now, the Highline Ballroom wants Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast back, and we will be there on October 24th. Now, we've got a lot to discuss today on the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. We have... uh, Leading up to No Mercy, we've got Raw, we've got SmackDown, we've got Starcade coming back. Jinder Mahal's big promo, Roman Reigns versus John Cena is finally going to happen. Where do we stand as we head toward No Mercy as well as a lot that I'm going to have to say about the passing of the amazing Bobby the Brain Heenan. We'll do it all today here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. But, you know, as we talk about the live show that we're going to be doing October 24th with Bully Ray that I hope you're all a part of, um, I do like to share at least part of the show with those who can't go. Of course, the last Highline Ballroom show is on YouTube, as is the last Caroline show that we did, the last Summer Sam show that we did. But the most recent live show that we did was part of the Now Hear This podcast festival, With Bobby Lashley, it was my first time meeting Bobby Lashley, the first time talking to him, and uh, what a great guest he turned out to be. This is when you know you have a great guest, when you have notes planned and you get to maybe half of them. I got to talk uh, with Bobby Lashley for about an hour in front of a live audience there at the Now Hear This Podcast Festival at the Jacob Javits Center, and you know I had planned on hitting his entire career 
getting into him getting started, amateur wrestling, WWE, going through OVW, getting to the main roster, ECW, SmackDown, Raw, the whole thing, getting out of WWE, heading over to TNA, getting involved in MMA. Where does he stand now? And the fact of the matter is, we got to where he stands now. We got to the Donald Trump stuff. But the stuff that he did in WWE and his journey was so meaty that that's what took up the majority of our time. And I'm sure that you guys aren't complaining about that. So that is who I'm sharing with you this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Bobby Lashley, live from the Now Hear This Podcast Festival. So why delay it any further? Let's get to our guest this week, Mr. Bobby Lashley. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, welcome, Bobby. Thank you. Is this your, uh, is this your first live podcast? We were just talking uh, uh, backstage, and he was like, hey, I got to love with you. I have no idea what's going on here. So, <laughs> No, I, well, I actually, live, I did one before, but it was like really impromptu. I was just at a, I think it was wrestling con, and I just kind of jumped in there. Right. So this right. is the only one that's been planned beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> this first scheduled live podcast. Yeah, well, that's that's good, man. I mean, I think the first question that comes to mind with you right now is what you're doing with your career. Because, you know, you see things on Impact or, or GFW, I guess, and uh, and you go, well, I'm not, I'm not wrestling anymore. I'm doing MMA. But like on TV, it looks like storyline. And then you read on the internet that, no, he's retired from wrestling. And then you show up on wrestling again. And then, but then you're calling out Fedor. And okay. where are you at today with your career? I think I'm trying to make a power play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, at, at the end of the day, what we always say is whoever pays the most. And, and right now, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in that kind of pivotal point in my career where with MMA, they really want me to go for a title. They really want me to really push it. And I and who's who's they? Your, your camp, Bellator. Like who is who Bellator? Is Bellator, Bellator does the promotion. Yeah, because um, when I originally when I originally started with Bellator, it was it was one of those things where I wanted to fight, but the only reason I was signing with them is because I was trying to get into TNA and for or Impact or Global Force, or <laughs> whatever or, or whoever we are right now. But. Um, I was trying to get in with them, and, and for some reason, they kept on saying, we don't have anything right now. Really? Yeah. So coming off of your WWE run, TNA is saying, we don't have anything. I guess TNA looks different then, though, right? That's when you're, is that when Kevin Nash and Kurt Angle and, and these guys were all there? Well, well, the first time they said, yeah, and then, and then I went in and everything was cool. Okay. But I, I took a little break off, and for me, I took a break off for two things, from fighting and from wrestling, because when I first started both of those, I got thrusted right into the main promotion right off the bat. Like, I was in WrestleMania after two and a half years of wrestling. Right. So everything was really fast for me. Um, same when, when I was fighting. After my second fight, I'm fighting in Strike Force on, on um, I think it was Showtime at the time. So everything went so fast for me. So, so you have that classic problem of being hugely successful right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, a lot of people, they were like, what are you going to do now? I pulled back from both of them. I, I, I pulled back from the WWE and I pulled back from Strike Force and I went and fought small promotions and I did a lot of indie work for, for some time. I mean, I did it for a few years just to kind of learn. Was that because you felt like you were lacking a foundation and you, or, or you just wanted that experience? No, I, I, I believed I was still phenomenal. It was just, <laughs> I thought, I thought there, was, there was a part of wrestling that I didn't understand and there was a part of fighting that I didn't understand either because with fighting, when you go in there, it was just, I got to finish this. 
you know, your adrenaline's all up, you get adrenaline dump and everything else. And I was like, man, I really want to get to a point where I feel comfortable in the cage fighting. Right. I have the ability, I just don't feel comfortable. And then with the wrestling, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in here with some of the greatest wrestlers. Like, I remember one, one time we were doing Survivor Series and everybody was coming out and Ray came out and I'm still standing out there watching all the entrances wide eye and he was like, stop being a fan. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, back in character. So I, <laughs> you I just wanted, think it's super cool, like watching all these awesome wrestlers come out. Yeah, was, you're, like, you're like, supposed you're, to be one of the awesome wrestlers, <laughs> knock it off. I pulled myself, so I pulled myself back and I was like, I want to go to Independence, so I want to see some of the stuff that some of the guys that I've been working with are talking about all the time. So I did Independence, and, I, and then I was sm fighting in some of the smaller promotions where I just felt comfortable. I kept telling the promoters, don't pay me as main event. I don't want my name to be as a spotlight for this thing. I, I want to be under the radar. Like, I don't even want you to advertise. And they were like, well, we can't pay you if we can't advertise you. I was like, <laughs> yeah, Damn. that was the thing, though. You were like, <laughs> I don't want you to advertise me. Definitely still pay me my yeah, rent. Yeah. Like, this is definitely <laughs> still. <laughs> So that's what I, that's what I did. And I took a little time off, and then and then when I started, and when I was trying to get back into Impact, they were like, "Well, we're going on with this and that," and and then um, Bellator was like, "Well, come back and come fight with us." And I was like, "I really want to go back to wrestling," but then Bellator came through and they said, "Hey, look, let's let's try to talk this out," and they start putting numbers together, and I was like, "All right, I, can, I, can, I, can <laughs> I can't say that. no." <laughs> but the whole thing was. I told him, I said, I'm going to sign with you guys because you guys are on Spike and Impact's on Spike or TNA's on Spike. So eventually, I think I can like, do both. And that was the whole plan. But at the time, Impact was doing all kinds of other stuff. And they just said, we don't have anything for you. What, right were, they, what were they doing at the time? Because now, I feel like your name is so closely associated with TNA. And like you're definitely one of the top guys now and when you just think and you start listing the top guys over the course of TNA in, in the last 10 years or however long they've been in business, your name inevitably comes up quickly. So what, what was going on that they were like, we don't have anything for Lashley? Well, obviously they were trying to sink the ship. <laughs> that was the only thing. That, it was I don't know. It, it was. I think it was one of those things where I think the internet controls a lot of things that that the wrestling business does, and it's it's kind of scary like that because I think at the time the, the one way to keep all the the big names out of out of Impact or TNA was to say, oh, they're just using ex WWE guys. So I think oh. that was a big stigma. They were like, oh, we can't just bring another ex WWE guy in here. But at the same time, when you when you, when you look at that. I, I turned to him, I said, I said, that's like if, if I had a pro football team and say a great quarterback went out, I don't want to pick him up because he's... He played for that other team. Yeah, yeah. like when we get Peyton Manning, I was like, don't pick up Peyton Manning, let's get this guy fresh out of college because we can groom him. No, let's get this guy that already has a fan base and everything else. And that's what I've been telling him now. So some of the guys that are coming in now, I'm like, man, of course we want El Patron, of course we want Johnny Mundo, of course we want these guys because it's going to help out the show. But anyway... They signed it, and, and that's um, the only way that I got in is because Kirk got hurt. Kirk got hurt at a, at one of the paper right before a pay per view. Right. And he was supposed to work EC three, and they needed someone, so they called me up and they said, "Hey, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, I just got back from the gym. I'm about to go <laughs> hang out with my kids." And they said, "Can you come this weekend and, and do one spot with um, with EC 3 And I was like, "Sure." I didn't know what they want me to do, anything, and. I came, and I did one thing, and that's all it was supposed to be. It was just that. But when I came out, 
the crowd was chanting like thank you dixie and they and, and dixie saw it and you know wide-eyed so they signed me a contract see that's a great turnaround because like you said the reason you're not showing up is because tna is getting self-conscious because they're listening to the fans so much that they don't want to hire an ex-wwe guy so when you're listening to the fans chant thank you dixie are you like okay that's a good thing because they actually do this is all that they listen to right right and and when they did that it was kind of one of those pause moments and i turned and stared at dixie in the stands and i was like (laughs) <laughs> trying to tell you <laughs> they, they they want something so so let's go back to the beginning a little bit how did you how did you get involved with wwe how did your developmental deal start how did you end up in ovw you that that's that's the best part of everything for me um i'm a huge kurt angle fan and how i actually got in is kurt was at the Olympic Training Center when I was there training. Mm-hmm. It was a year before the Olympics, it was 2003. And he was, he was doing a vignette for the WWE. And he was needing some people to kind of work out with and I was there. And the whole time Kurt kept on looking at me and I was like, man, I watched Kurt when I was in high school win his national championship because I wrestled. So right. of course I was following him that. So I was, I was a professional wrestling fan, but I was an amateur wrestling fan also. So I'm sitting there watching Kurt win nationals and then I went to college, and then I started winning nationals. And Kurt's in, um, at the Olympic Training Center, and he's winning the Olympics. And then next thing you know, I moved to the Olympics, Olympic Training Center. And then now I'm here with Kurt, and he's in professional wrestling. So I'm watching him in professional wrestling, trying to compete here. And then he comes by me, and he was like, he was like what are you? I said, what? He, said, he said, man, you got a great look. He said, you ever think about professional wrestling? Well, I was just going to ask you, were you this big when you were wrestling then or, or close to this size? You know what? I... I I, I hate to say this, but I look big on TV. I mean, you look, you're sitting next to me. <laughs> you, you look big. It's still TV. <laughs> like, it doesn't look. <laughs> when you guys saw Bobby Lashley walk out here, did you think, like, oh, I thought he was bigger on TV? Or were you like, no, that's, that's, that's a giant man? Yeah. Well, I, I get that a lot of times. People are like, man. And then, well, what they build me at, they build me at 6'4, 300 pounds. And I'm nowhere close to there. <laughs> so, I mean, height-wise, I'm close. Um, but as far as weight, I'm not. I stay but really you, lean. You're still bigger than most amateur wrestlers. Like, you don't have the physique of, right. of an average amateur wrestler. Like, when you look at, at, at clips of Brock Lesnar wrestling amateur, he does not look like an amateur wrestler. He's this beast in a singlet. You know what I mean? Is that, is that kind of what you look like as an amateur wrestler? Um, I, look, I look like maybe a little smaller version of myself. Okay. And if you saw it in the picture, you wouldn't know if I was in WWE or, or if I was in... Gotcha. Wrestling. Okay. Um, but early on, I mean, I was, I was super tiny growing up. Super, super tiny. Like, I was in high school at 110 pounds. So complex. Really? And oh, so yeah. what did you just... Did you start lifting weights? I didn't, I didn't start putting on size until I went to Olympic Training Center. And I think, I think the reason why there is because I think I was probably malnourished for my entire life. I grew up with nothing. So, I mean... My um, diet consisted of, like, cereal and whatever else you can get. So I think I was just pr- pretty much malnourished. I was just a small kid. You just had no food. No That's food. why you were skinny. Yeah. yeah. And then when I went to college, I mean, it was living on the cafeteria food and then, and then Taco Bell and beer at night. So right. it was hard to actually develop. And then but you I, never got fat? No, no. I don't think my body is just my body is just a whole fat. Wow. Like, it's everybody lucky. asks me what kind of diet. They're like, oh, what are you taking in, in diet? Like, bro, like, your body's I, just, your body's just so thankful from the years of not eating. It's <laughs> just like whatever food we'll, we'll do the right things with it. I literally, I told people, I was like, I can eat a, a large pizza right now. And then tonight pull off my shirt and my abs are like, 
That must make people just so happy for you, right? No, it doesn't piss anybody off, I'm sure. <laughs> but so, um, all right, so you're in the, the, the Olympic Center, and you meet Kurt Angle, and he's asking what you're doing. Like, what do you want to do? Because that is a thing, right? Like, with, with amateur wrestling, it's a passion for so long, but most amateur wrestlers get to this place where there's not money in it. Exactly, and that's what Kurt told me. Kurt was like, man, he was like, I know you love it here, and I've been here for years, but... After the Olympics, man, you might want to really think about doing something else. He said, we don't have a pro sport. He said, right now, he said, if, if you played any other sport, you'd be making millions because you're at the top. I mean, I, right. won, I won nationals my sophomore, junior, senior year in college. I, won three, I was a three-time national champion. Then I went to the world championships, um, and I took a silver medal at the world championships. So he's like, man. Does that, does that play into your brain as an amateur wrestler? Because he's right. You know, like uh, – you know, Carmelo Anthony had one phenomenal year at Syracuse, and he gets, after one year, right. multi-million dollar deal in the NBA and has been making millions ever since. Like, as, you're, as you become great at this sport, is there something in your head that goes, you know, like, why isn't there that million-dollar contract waiting for me? Or does it not even occur to you because it's it, just wrestling, 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 wrestling? It, it didn't even occur to me. I, I never even thought about that, like, we killed ourselves for a medal or just the, right. standing on the podium. Right. That was it. Didn't think about anything else besides that. It was just, I got to go. Right. I got to bust my ass. And, that, and, that's, and that's what happened with Kurt when he was telling me all this. He, I mean, he called me, and then he gave my number to Briscoe, Joe, Joe Briscoe. He called me up, and he was like, hey, man, we'd like to bring you on for a tryout or, or bring you up to Louisville and, and get going. And it was in 2003, so the Olympics was in 2004, so I was like, I was like, man, I really want the opportunity. I said, however, um, I mean, I've been wrestling for 20-something years. My goal was to make it to the Olympics and win the Olympics. So if we can wait a little bit, I could, I could possibly do it. That's a ballsy move. Yeah, oh, man, it was crazy. Um, it, was, it was a hard thing because it was like your whole goals, all your goals, all your passions. But then there's money. Right. And then there's like um, – living out your childhood fantasy also. So you were like, a pro wrestling fan growing up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it was like, which one do we actually do? And that was, that was a tough decision, but I, that's what I told him. And I think it was like in May that it happened. So after that, the World Team Trials was another big tournament that was coming up in the, in the next month. So I was like, all right, I need to focus all my attention on this, on this wrestling, and, that, and that's where I'll see what I'm going to do. I had a really good showing at that at that wrestling match. I, I took um, I was like one one point away from making it onto the the world team, which the next year would have been the Olympic team. So I was right there. And then I mean, this story's come out like a million different times, but my whole turning point with everything was I think it was July. So I talked to Briscoe in May, and I think it was like in July. We had a little bit of downtime, and I I went to a bank. The whole bank robbery story. I went to this, I had time off and I was going to a bank to go deposit some money. Mm-hmm. I walked into the bank and how it worked is like the tellers were, you know, tellers are in the front and then there's one line and then you break off and sure. when they call you up. So when I went into the bank, I walked to the back of the line. As soon as I stood there, it was like maybe like half a second. I stood there. As soon as I stopped, I heard boom, boom, boom. And the first part, because I saw the tape afterwards, the first part was the guy was kicking the door open, and he was autom- and he, he was firing as he went through. Now, I don't think he was trying to shoot at me, but I think he, um, I think when he kicked, he pulled the trigger. Right. 
Oh, so he did it by mistake, you think? Like, he just didn't... I hope he wasn't trying to shoot me. I right. feel bad if he was. But, um... <laughs> I'd be sad if he was trying yeah. to shoot me. Yeah, you missed. Um, but when he, when he did it, I, I just... Because I saw everyone screaming like this, I turned like this. And when I turned, the bullet went straight through the wall. And I took a dive down on the ground. Mm-hmm. When I hit the ground, boom. I just lay there. And... and like I say so many times, and it's so vivid. It, it brings me back to that point. All I could think of the whole time when I'm laying on the ground with my face there, my ears burning, my face is burning because we were so close, I kept thinking, it's not supposed to end like this. That's what I kept thinking. That's right. the only thing that was going in my head. It's not supposed to end like this because I thought I was done. So it's not supposed to end like this. I kept thinking that. And then, and then I'm just squeezing. Everything was so tense. I'm squeezing my eyes. I, everything was just ridiculous. And then... And then it started, I started relaxing. I was like, relax, 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 relax. And then I heard more shots. Pow, pow. So he was shooting at some, some of the tailors or something like that. They jumped over. They stole a whole bunch of money. And then they took off. And when they took off, that's when I got up. And my knee was like, like the size of a softball, like on top of my knee. So when I hit the ground, my knee just <laughs> exploded. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was messed up. And after, after that happened, I... Immediately had to go to the, the, the emergency room. They checked out my knee, and what happened is I, I completely ruptured my bursa sac. So the fluid in your knee. But, like, it's just so weird because you wrestle for 20 years, and this big injury happens because you went to the bank. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you just, it's just, <laughs> what do we, life is, life is strange. Yeah, it's wrestling mine. I mean, eventually I'm going to write, write a book. I guess I have to. You yeah, have to yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Especially because like every bad thing that happened to you or every like every risky situation I feel like you've been in, like being a pro wrestler is a risk, being an amateur wrestler is a risk. Like all these things that are, are dangerous you do and the consequences from those things happen to you. But over, you know, over in a McDonald's or something, right. like, has nothing to do with, with the sport that you're actually participating in. Yeah, that's, that's what usually happens, especially so, with this one. So what happens? So you, you have this knee injury and also this experience of, like, oh, my God, life is fleeting. Yeah. And yeah. is that when you kind of come to terms with the fact that I got I to gotta be a pro wrestler? This is going to keep me out of the Olympics, obviously. No, well, when, when, when I went to the hospital, they said, We're gonna ha- we have to go surgery. And I was like, well, I said, what is the recovery time? Because the Olympics were it was in eight months. Yeah. So he was like, he was like, well, unfortunately, you're gonna have about a six month oh. period. So I was like, man, six months, and then two months to get back in shape and get ready for it. And then I, at first, I was like, I didn't, I wasn't listening to anything he was saying. He said six months. I said that's for the average guy. I'm gonna be ready in three months, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna have enough time to get ready and go because I'm gonna, I'm gonna do more than the average person to get back. So I, I went to the surgery, had the surgery, and then I'm sitting at home, and probably a month after the surgery, my knee is, like, killing me. It fills back up with fluid. Now it's on the back. It's completely, just completely messed up. We went back to the emergency room again, and the doctor was like, Ugh. oh, no, something, because he saw something in x-ray. So he was like, we got to go back to surgery again in oh, a month. My. So now instead of eight months away, now we're like – five months away and he's telling me that I have to go back to surgery for this and I was like this is insane and I just sat there and we went through surgery the second surgery was just terrible so after the surgery I'm sitting at home do you know why the complication happened I think he left something in oh 
I think he left something in. But, they, but he's not going to say that because then it's <laughs> yeah, a huge malpractice. Yeah, because he's like flipping out. And I was like, man, what, what's going on? So <laughs> Left his keys in there. I was looking for those. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> he didn't want to tell me. He just said, he said that I had another chair and he had to go through the back and all this other stuff. And I was like, that's weird. Yeah. You don't have it beforehand, but now we have it after? Okay. But I, I went through the surgery. And at this point, now I'm like in the dumps because – where I think it was like three months out or four months out of the actual Olympic trials. And I was like, man, I'm in a straight leg cast. I hadn't walked for a month or two months at this point. And now I'm just sitting there. I'm like, man, this is, this is terrible. So I'm sitting with this leg brace on. And then out of nowhere, my phone rings. Hey, this is some, it was someone else. Um, I think it was Mark Ronald or somebody from WWE. And I was like, no way. Because the last time I talked to him in May, and at this point, we're all the way in, like, I think it's September or, or October or something like that. So it, we hadn't had any communication. It's been like five or six months. Yeah, and yeah. they just called me out of the sheer blue. And I was like, okay. And he said, look, we understand that you're waiting for the Olympics, and we understand this, and we understand that. However, this is a big opportunity. There's a lot of buzz that, uh, that have been passed around the office about you. We really want you to come over here. We want you to come to Louisville, and we just want to sit down with you and see if you can bring you on. And I was like, <laughs> I said, I, I, don't, to Louisville. I, don't, I don't know if I should tell him about this, but um, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm in. And then he said, all right, can you come next week? And I was like, no, I can't come next week. <laughs> so I kept on like trying to like back him up a little bit, and then he said, you didn't tell him about the leg. You were oh, just trying to no. I wasn't push him off. Like, ah, I got I a thing. Something. Yeah, I kept on telling him I had this, that, and the other because I was wrestling for the army team at the time, so I was still technically in the army. So I told him I had to do some paperwork, I had to get clearance and all this stuff. So it bought me about a good month and a half. So in that month and a half, I mean, I was rehabbing like two and three times a day, just trying to because I didn't know what happened. I didn't want them to see me with this leg brace on, and so. I mean, make a long story short, I, I made it to that day. I was rehabbing like crazy. Still hadn't walked. I was still on crutches. And they sent the ticket, so I had to go to Louisville the next day. I had the leg brace on, went there, and then I didn't take the leg brace off the first time until getting to Louisville because I didn't want them to see me, so I took it off. And my whole thing was just walk slow, just walk slow. Yeah. Because you can always extend a handshake before you get there. So <laughs> I was trying to walk really slow and extend the handshake so I wouldn't have to show that I was hurt. And I met doc, um, Dr. Tom. He was there, Tom Pritchard. And he took us to Louisville. And the first thing he did, he was like, all right, I'm going to show you some different drills, and we want you to run the ropes. So the first time I even took a step was running the ropes after this long thing. It was the most yeah, it's not like ridiculously them. painful thing that I had to ever go through, but I had to just grit it. And you and you did it. I did it. Could, did they could they tell that you were limping on it? No, he actually said that I looked really good. He said he <laughs> said I like the intensity when you're hitting those ropes and running back. I was like, man, I'm gonna cry. And yeah, the cool thing was is I was down there with Ziggler. That's when me and um, Nemeth uh, Ziggler yeah we became friends. We were there together, and every night after we we did part of the trial, we would go back to the hotel and have a couple drinks. I'm hopped up on whatever and icing my knee like crazy and I was like man I don't know if I can make it but it was four days 
of tryouts. Oh, my God. So you went through the four-day tryout with the knee thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just so funny, too, because when you run the ropes, you know, everybody hears guys have these stories of, like, the first time they ran the ropes, they didn't realize that the rope burn would hurt so much. Bruce but your back. knee is in so much pain that you don't even care about <laughs> yeah. the ropes. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then my first day, so I was learning all kinds of different things. So I learned how to run the ropes, and then I was learning bumps. So when I left there, on the, I left there Friday morning after four days of training with those guys. I felt like I was in a car accident. I bruised my heel. I had a bruise on my back. My knee hurt, and, and everything else. I mean, I was. I walked home just like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. I this. thought you just wanted to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I said, man, I thought I wanted to talk. So I did a whole bunch of push-ups and everything like that. So I mean, I was looking good, but um, actually had to do something. So that wow. was wow. Really so tough. when when you see. OVW, because obviously this is a small place, right? Like, it's not the glitz and glamour of WWE. And as a wrestling fan, you know what WWE looks like. Are you thinking, like, this will be a great place for me to learn? Or are you thinking, like, hey, like, I got this amateur background. I look like a million bucks. I should be on TV. No, I, I, I want to learn. Yeah. I want to learn. Because that, that was the one thing that I, I can't take. And I, I think a lot of the amateur sports players would, would say the same thing is, it's like a shut up and train kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't, I didn't, I, I was, I'm, I'm always, I'm a very laid back person. I'm very humble. So when I went there, it wasn't, I do this, I do that. It was like, I'm the biggest person in the place. I, I have a fight background, but I'm very, very gentle with everyone because I really wanted to learn. Because this is my, I always say that this is my Olympics. Right. Professional wrestling was my Olympics. I got everything taken away from me from these three jackasses that came into the bank shooting it up. So this is my opportunity to do something again. Was there anybody there that was, like, trying to test you to see if you really had it in you? Because, you know, you're a guy off the street. You look like a wrestler. Right. But you've never done any pro wrestling. You've never done any indie shows. Like, you haven't, you've lived amateur wrestling. You haven't lived pro wrestling. Were there yeah. people testing you and seeing if the big muscle kid <laughs> could really hang? Yeah. You know what? I was oblivious to a lot of things when I got into the wrestling business. I was completely completely oblivious to things and as we go along I'll tell you some of the other things that I had no knowledge of <laughs> but when I went there I didn't know and and <laughs> Cornette Cornette came with us at Impact and he was telling the story about when I almost killed him and I almost killed Cornette because we were running this storyline and I was out there and I was a big kid I'm just picking people up slamming them I, of course I'm only doing like you know Goldberg moves boom boom just slamming and that's all I knew. They weren't teaching psychology or anything like that. But we had some stuff that we were learning in there, but it was basically pick people up and throw them down. Right. So um, I, I was in this huge feud, and then there was a part where Cornette came down, and he was cutting a promo, and my manager was supposed to say, all right, shut him up. So I said, all right. So I was supposed to grab him and slam him. Mm-hmm. And Cornette was just talking about this just the other day. And I picked him up, and for some reason he came up like nothing. <laughs> and when he came up, so I was like, oh, shit. And I threw him down. Oh, excuse, excuse me. I'm like, no, go ahead. And, he, and, he, and when I threw him down, I mean, instead of body slamming him, I almost like picked him up and lawn darted him like, like, right down. Like when you pick up that sack of potatoes, right? <laughs> and so you have all this weight behind you. You yeah. realize it's styrofoam in the bag. And right. you, just, you just throw it up in the air behind you. And that's exactly what happened. Man, this dude came down and said, boom. It's just like his body like just crumbles. And I was like, <gasps> I was like, holy shit, holy shit. He's also the guy in charge, right? Yeah. He's running the show, riding the show, everything. I was like, and I've heard him cut promos on people before. And I knew Cornette from going up and I was like, Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. <laughs> so 
I go back to the back with everyone, and everybody's like, <gasps> and everybody's sitting back there, and Cornette goes, motherfucker, and he just <laughs> leaves. And I was like, <sighs> I said, I said, I will. I better go home and start packing. And so the next day when we came back, everybody's sitting in there, and we're waiting for Cornette to come, and Cornette's coming because he wants to talk to everyone. And I was like, oh, my God. I said, I'm just going to sit in the front, you know, this is me. I got to take it. So I'm just keeping my head down. And Cornette comes in here. He's like, you motherfuckers. And, and he's yelling at everybody there uh-huh. except me. And I was like, what's going on? I said, I don't know. if this, I'm just. He goes, the reason why this motherfucker is doing this and pick me up and almost kill me is because you stiff bastards are trying to deadweight him all the time. And I was like. I don't know what's going on here, but <laughs> but the whole thing was when I first came in, I think everybody was just kind of dead weight me, right? But I didn't know anything didn't because know I was in wrestling and we had to pick people up and slam them anyway. So when they came at me, yeah, they dead weighted me, but I was just rah, boom. Rah, so you're just boom. thinking that because nobody, because you've never had the experience of body slamming somebody the way it's supposed to feel, you're like, this is what it feels like yeah. to lift a heavy man in the air, right? Yeah. So I picked him up like if I was going to physically pick him up and. And he just came up so hard. <laughs> That's so uh, funny. Because we'll he was going with you. And you were yeah. like, what is this sensation? <laughs> yes. So, uh, so when he just yelled at everybody afterwards and, and basically I was like, I don't know if this is a good thing because I would much rather have him hate me than all these guys Everyone. hate Everyone. <laughs> so, yeah. So everybody kind of got it afterwards. And they kind of at, at some point in time realized that I wasn't like just some big jacked up asshole that wanted to come in and, and throw my weight around and say, oh, I'm – employed by the WWE so I right. get whatever I want and right. I, I kind of kept trying to humble myself and show that I'm not that guy I and and it, it was one of those situations where I believe um if you get and I told people like this I said look anyone if, if, if Vince came up to you right now and said hey look I know you don't know shit about wrestling but I think you look like a million bucks and I think um I can get enough guys to kind of work with you to make you look okay uh, would you do it and most people are like, oh, of course I would. So I was like, then don't give people shit that get put in that position because they're doing what, what you, they would do and yeah. what you would do and what everybody else would do. Yeah. Like your Roman Reigns. Right, <laughs> right. Guys like, right now. It's like, what do they expect? They see Roman Reigns and say, all right, I know you guys hate me. I'm just going to go home and not take the money that they're giving me right. and not be on TV and not do all this and all that. So in my situation, I was like, of course I'm there and I'm just going to do the best I can with what I have. And I was fortunate enough to wrestle with some amazing people. so Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Once you got to the main roster and, like, your first kind of storylines and series of matches are around that U.S. title, but it's with guys like Fit Finley and Booker T. Oh, yeah. I would have to imagine that that was done deliberately because they could be teachers to you. Is Absolutely. That, is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the first person I worked with was Simon Dean. Right. And he was a trainer in OVW. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> that was the easiest thing in most It's really, really positions. interesting because, like, you look at – because really good teachers and really good trainers should know everything inside and out. Like, yeah. the fact that Jim Cornette's reaction to you almost crushing his spine was that he was aware that the only reason you were doing that is because of your experience outside is like, oh, like, he really knows what he's talking about. And the fact that you'd be brought up to the main roster then and they're like, well, we want to make this guy – look a certain way right but at the same time we need him to be able to eventually carry himself right they're finding opponents specifically for you that can can continue your teaching process while it looks to the audience like you're a master absolutely you know that's kind of an amazing yeah. an amazing thing and so, i and the in the absolute best person is fit finley 
Is that right? That guy is friggin' masterful. Yeah. <laughs> he is like In what in what way? In just the in man, the in the storytelling aspects and the details, like what I, I try to learn after him because Fit doesn't he's one of those guys that you can put him in any position and it works. Right. And and for me, a lot of times it's it's hard for me to go in the ring because I look so much more physically demanding or physically just you put me against some of these guys, and it's just like, hey, Bobby, just kill him. Because if he beats you, then it just doesn't make any sense. Looks silly. That's kind of like Brock right now. Brock's right. sitting in there, and you put different people with Brock, and you're like, oh, this looks interesting, but no way is he going to beat Brock. Right. And that's kind of how it was for me. But when I had the matches with Fit, it was almost believable. And he was the oldest. He wasn't my size. He just had that like that character that he just stayed true to. And it was really cool with him. I mean, there were some times where I was standing right in front of him and something would, some, like, somebody would whisper in my ear <laughs> to do something. And it was, he's standing right in front of me. I'm like, man, this guy is like, every, everything that he did made sense. Yeah. Everything he did made sense. And, and when, when you look back at his matches, it was like every single little thing made sense. And then do you come off that, that uh, working with Fit Finley, like we can make all this stuff work, like all these things on paper that we'd be like, no, that can never happen, or that doesn't make any sense. Like there are ways, like we can make this Absolutely. work. Yep. But yep. you just have to do the work. Like you can't be lazy about it, right? Right. Like you have to figure out new and interesting ways to tell stories. Yeah. So Absolutely. did you, did you when, you, when you're there and you're on SmackDown and stuff, like do you, are you dealing with the same stuff that you dealt with in OVW? Like, okay, this muscle kid from OVW is now up here and he's going to throw his weight around. Did you have to repeat that cycle? Yeah, I mean, there, there's always those people. There's always those people that would do it. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, everybody heard different stories of different guys that would try to. The one thing that I didn't get, I guess this was on my side a little bit, is there were some guys that took a lot of hazing, a lot of, to the point where leaving or, or just, you would hear stories about, oh, so-and-so just got, I don't want to say names of people that were really hard on them or pull them down and just like, just go on. I never got that. Right. Well, I, got that. I mean. You're a huge man, too. Yeah. <laughs> Probably like we can push him to a certain extent. Oh, only but. on TV. Only on TV. <laughs> That's right. Huge. That's right. But so who did you – were there guys that, like, you were worried about because you had heard rumors that, like, oh, this guy gives people a hard time when, when you get up to the main roster? And, and yeah, there was. There was. Like, um, one I, I was worried about was JBL. Right. I, I mean, they put me right in there, and then I was supposed to beat him for the title. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know right. what, what am I going to take with? But I'm telling you, with some of those guys, I believe it, I believe it's like this. I grew up in sports, so I was in the locker room with the, with the guys that um, that you would consider like the linebackers that would consider like hazers or harder or anything like that. And I understood those kind of people. I understood the JBLs. I was around JBLs the entire time. And and some of those guys, I took it as this. I took it as they're trying to protect the business. Because right. a lot of people are coming in the business that really do not believe belong in the business, so they're trying to protect the business. So when I came in, there were certain things that I did that would kind of earn respect for the guys. One of the guys, Holly, Bob Holly, love him, but he was known as you know one of the guys that was a little rough. Protectors of the business, we'll call them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was. That's a he was, a, he term, was right? a stern protector, <laughs> but I I loved him, and, and and me and Bob, I think I earned Bob's respect. Because we used to always, me and Bob would work, work, work. And Bob was super stiff. And for me, I wrestled for years. so And I'm a glutton for punishment. I mean, fight now. So it really didn't bother me if I felt like somebody was a little stiff. Right. And I could be stiff, too, if I wanted to. Just to let them know. They'd give me something hard. I'm like, give me something, something hard, too, and smile. Hey, come on, let's go. <laughs> um, 
But I think where I earn respect for Bob, Bob always would like chop you so hard that it felt like he was trying to like rip you in half. And I remember one time we were overseas and I did a spot with Bob where I'd throw him to the ropes and I'd come and he'd hit up and over. And then when I'd turn around, he would just be right there and just whack, just like chop me so hard that I just dropped out of my knees. Oh God. And I would fall down. I mean, it was rough. Yeah. But it was part of the match, and I, I, I didn't see any other way of doing that because to get the reaction that we wanted, he had to, he had to bring it. So we needed a sound, and, and he had to basically chop me in half. There's no way to fake that sound. There's not. Yeah. So I was like, all right. We went over, overseas, still young, still new, and we ran that spot. I was like, all right, let's do it. Throws it. He goes up and over. I turned around, and for some reason, I don't know why I did it, but he rears back, and I went. Oh, oh, like that. So I like bowed and I was like, oh shit. And when I did that, he hit like, and it was no sound just because I was like, because it was, it was just boom. muscle. And then we both, he both kind of looked at each other and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I reared back. I said, duck this. And I threw the hardest punch I could. And then he ducked it, turned around. I opened wide open. He just, oh, bam. And he hit me with everything he had. I went down on my knees and just laid down. <laughs> <laughs> and then I laid there. And afterwards, he was like, oh, man, that was awesome. And right. So the fact that you figured out how to avoid the chop. Yeah. But then knew for the show you needed it. So you opened yourself back up and just give took it, it like me. a man. Yeah, just give it to me. At that point, he's like, no, he's a real dude. Yeah. He gave me that. All right, you're, you're tough enough. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Got that Bob Holly fist bump. But you know what? Bob is one of those guys. Like a lot of times I hear these these different things about, oh, this guy's a little bit mean or this guy's a little bit rough or this guy's this. I think certain people have that have that prey on weakness kind of thing. Sure. They'll be walking through and they're looking around. And they're like, all right, all right, he looks weak, so I'm going to go over by him. And I think it's just how you carry yourself. Like we're still in a combat sport, whether it's professional wrestling or however you want to look at it. I still look at it as a combat sports. So we should be trained as fighters. We should be trained as athletes. And we should, be, um, and we should learn the, 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 I guess, the art of it. So do you think that that's an issue nowadays that a lot of the younger talent comes in as non-athletes, strictly as like wrestling fans? This is really the last, like, whatever it's been, maybe 10 years, yeah. is the first generation of guys who grew up watching wrestling in the 80s, they're not athletes. They're just guys who used to wrestle with their wrestling buddies and then wrestle with their friends on a trampoline. And now they're in the pro wrestling business and they don't have that locker room, athletic, alpha male, win at all costs background. You're trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? I'm just asking. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, th I, think, I think there's room for everyone. Okay. Um, wrestling business is a circus. But. We're, we're still, I, I believe right now we're, we're in the state of reality TV, okay? Yeah. And, and wrestling fans are always going to be there. The outside fans are not. Because when I have people that don't watch wrestling, I'm like, hey, man, you got to watch wrestling. You know, I've watched it all my life. They're like, yeah, I saw Hulk Hogan when I was younger. No, no, watch it now. And if they turn to the TV and something is just so un like, unbelievable, like, you're like uh, why did that just happen? That doesn't even look right. We're losing fans because of that. Right. And I'm not saying it's the biggest guy or the strongest guy or anything like that, but it's the way that you carry yourself. Like I said, fit is believable. He's not the biggest guy. Um, and I think some people go out there and they just want to do the, um, the art of wrestling versus the actual fight of right. wrestling. So I think 
you, you have to have both. And if you have both on the roster, then. But if, if you're doing that style of wrestling, then there's certain positions that you just can't get, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to see somebody beat Brock just because they have some cool moves that they can do. Right. Right. That's if just you're me. looking at, like, the moves look cool. Yeah. But you're like, but that, that wouldn't be Brock. That's Brock. Right. And, and, and you, you can't bury Brock just because, oh, we want to make a cool match. Right. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that so much. Yeah, because it does. I mean, uh, pro wrestling, as much as everybody now who watches knows what it is, it's the show on all of television that I think requires the most suspension of disbelief for it to be real. I mean, yeah, it requires absolutely. a suspension of disbelief that is of the level that if I see you, Bobby Lashley, on the street, I'm thinking about your storyline. Like, I'm yeah. thinking of the character on TV. If I see, you know, Rick Grimes on the street from Walking Dead, I don't think that that's Rick Grimes. No. I think that that's, that's the actor from <laughs> The Walking Dead. But when you see a wrestler on the street, wrestling fans think, well, that's, that's you know, Sasha Banks, not right. Mercedes. That's Seth Rollins. Of not, course. You know, like, that's the guy from the show. And I guess you're right. When you start messing with that suspension of disbelief, it kind of puts the whole, the whole thing that... that that you guys do into, into Haywire. Yeah. 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 So you go to ECW, the new ECW. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> this is where I was talking about before, where I was completely oblivious to everything going on. Let me just start with saying that. Um, let, let me, let me, because we're talking about that. Yeah. Okay. The December to Dismember. Right. One of the, one of the classic pay-per-views of. Of our time. Don't make fun of me because I had no idea anything was going on. I had no knowledge. Like, when I was in, re- when I was in wrestling, like, you got to understand, when I was in wrestling, I, we didn't have dirt sheets. We didn't have any of these things before. So when I got into to wrestling, into pro wrestling, I never looked at any of that stuff. Right. All the way through my time in WWE, I didn't know anything. I never looked at anything. <laughs> and I, I remember I was riding with somebody. I think it was Kennedy at the time. And he was like, man, so-and-so is, like, writing for the streets. And I was like, writing for what? Well, who is he writing to? What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, who is he telling this stuff to? So all Like along, the concept was foreign to you. Yeah, Not yeah. like I just avoid the websites. Like, I, don't I didn't even know, know they people, were there. Right. I didn't even know where they were. I guess that's my ignorance. Uh, because I was always in that shut up and, and train kind of mentality. I didn't know anything about any of those things. I couldn't tell you a site, anything like that. So um, all this stuff was going on, and I was like, Afterwards, I was like, dang, they used me as a ploy to, like, do a lot of different things. <laughs> but they paid me, so. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't, did you realize after the December to Dismember pay-per-view that it had gone, like, everything, it had gone horribly awry, that this was, like, a pay-per-view bad enough that Paul Heyman's not going to be here anymore? Like, it's, it's that level of a bad show? Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of pissed off at Paul. I'm going to call him today because I was talking to him at that pay-per-view. Uh-huh. And he was like, yeah, do this, do that. Because Paul, Paul had always been like a I'm, – I'm, I'm a Paul guy. I'm a Heyman guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, I was, when I was in OBW, he came down. He was doing stuff. And, and he brought me in. And he, we sat down for like hours and, and, and just talked. So he got to know me. He said, because I'm writing for the show. I can't write for the show if you're on the show if I don't have any di- idea who you are. He said, because I know you're not like the Mr. T guy, pretty the fool guy, that they're going to always bill you at. Like when I came and I was Blaster Lashley because I'm this big black guy, so I'm supposed to come out there and want to beat everybody up. <laughs> but, that's, but that's not me. So Paul came through and he found out who I was. So when we had that pay-per-view, 
he was talking to me about a whole bunch of different things. I didn't know that we were actually trying to bury ECW going through it. I was just trying <laughs> to do what I was supposed to do. Came to work, did my job, and then I was riding with Boogeyman, and he doesn't know anything. <laughs> so, so we were just riding around like two big dummies getting paid in WWE. We loved right. it. You're, you're, you got the ECW title not realizing <laughs> right. that it's just to destroy everything. Yeah, they, like, they hated me. <laughs> like, all right. And, and then afterwards, I mean, there was, there was, there was a couple points of times where I was like, Vince has the ECW title. He beat me for it, and he's walking in here with a do rag on. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that go back to what we were just talking? About? You're like, hey, you can't have these, you know, really unbelievable finishes. Okay, we're gonna do Vince over Bobby Lashley <laughs> right. for the title. <laughs> but they protected it. They protected it. Right. But I, I mean, I think I think that was Vince's way of like. <laughs> Fuck ECW. <laughs> <laughs> so, but as far as heat, nobody knows how to generate heat like he does. I mean, he's the best at it. Yeah, nobody knows how to generate heat like he does. When did you start sniffing that like <coughs> ECW was not the uh, shiny new toy that it was intended to be? Um, when we went to when we went to ECW Arena, I w- I don't think I was on that show or that pay per view. I might have been on it, but it wasn't about me. And I think it was Cena and RVD in the. Oh, at the uh, at the at the Hammerstein. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean when 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 Cena got his shirt thrown back at him over yeah. and over again? I was like, I think we should leave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be here. Yeah. But yeah, I, like, I mean, Bobby, you're in ECW. Like, I, know, I know, but I don't think I really am. But I, I thought I thought the whole thing was, um, like the whole time I was like, I get it. Put it on me. And have one of those guys beat me for it. Right. And let me, let me, let me take the heat. But you can't keep me as a baby face. We get the ECW guys. I'm going against RVD. I'm going against Sandman. And I'm, they're like, all right, yeah, we want you to take him over there and just kill Sandman. I was like, all right. It's, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Even like, like the guy, everybody, the beloved Sandman that everybody in this building thinks is like the coolest guy ever. Right. I just kill him. Yeah, yeah, just oh. kill him. Just put him against the table and spear him through the table and pin him one, two, three. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so like, so you're the champion over there. What is it like to be involved? Because there's a few, there's a few layers of this, right? Well, we should, we'll, we'll go through the layers. First of all, what is it like to be involved in a storyline with Vince McMahon? Because I would assume that even though at that time ECW is not the sweet spot to be in, being in a storyline with Vince McMahon has to be the sweet spot. Yeah. For that company. Yeah. I got. I got to say. I got to say this. I, I was fortunate enough in WWE. Like I, I feel like um, I was. I was given a doctorate degree in, in a short amount of time, mm-hmm. just based on the people that I've worked with. I mean, coming in working with Finley, Simon Dean, Booker T, JBL, um, Benoit. I mean, I'm I'm sitting there working. And you have Undertaker overseeing things and coming over there giving you advice. Um, Eddie, you know, rest his soul, before he passed, you know, giving advice. Did you get respect from The Undertaker? Yeah. Yeah. Man, he used to come to me and he, used to, he was like, man, you know, because that's one thing that, that some, of the, some of the guys in the, in the business actually know what's going on. Undertaker's the best at it by saying, I can make money with him. And, and he'll groom you and he'll make sure that you don't devalue yourself because I need you later. Gotcha. So he's looking down the road of saying, here, like, I can do some business with you and instead we both of, can make money. Instead of getting weird ego, like, I don't want anybody to do well, because, but yeah. if you're the only one doing well, it's not good for business. Right. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing? Squashing everyone else? Yeah. And, and he was telling me like, little things. Like, I, I was in the wrestling me- mentality. You know, I'm low and everything like that. He says, when you go out there, your presence is important. 
He's, he says, you, you're a big guy. And I was like, no, only on TV I'm a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, stand up. Let people see you. Let people see you. Let them, you know, he, and he's giving me, like, little advice on different things when we're in a ring. I remember when you asked if, if somebody kind of, like, did some kind of, like, underhanded stuff when I was out there. Yeah, it happened. Um, but then again, I was just like, oh, that's cool. Oh, man, thank you for the match afterwards. And I remember um, I, I did a match with one guy. I'm not going to say his name. Ah. I can't say his name. Ah. Uh, uh, because he's still kind of involved with some stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, it was like blatantly stuff. It was like, let me grab your head and turn your head like this and pop you in the chin. And I'd take it. And I was like, man, that was a pretty good shot. You know, and, and, and throughout the match, and I remember Taker and, and Benoit afterwards, they pulled me into office. And Benoit, he's all intense and everything. He's like, what happened out there? And I was like, I don't know. I, I won. I mean, it was one, <laughs> two, three, spear. He goes, nah. He goes, he goes, you tell somebody this. And Taker goes, oh. He said, he said, look, we're professionals. He said, if you have a match like that again, you tell the person, we can either settle this here or we can settle it out there. But I'm not going to allow you to do this ever again. And he was like, you got to tell people like that. you got to be stern with them. He said, I don't care if they wrestle for 100 years. That is unprofessional. He said, so basically, in, in our eyes, if somebody does that to you, you got a green light to whoop their ass out in the ring. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> because I got these guys on my side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it, it never really had to come to that point that I had to do it. I had to rough a couple people up. But, I mean, it, it's, it's, just, it's the wrestling business. Right, know? right. There's a lot, there's a lot at stake. So, so, so what, is it, what is it like to be in a storyline with Vince McMahon? Amazing. It is. It was, it was amazing. Because you've got to think about it this way. A lot of times when you go to the show, you're like, all right, what am I doing? All right, I'm working. All right. But if, you, if you're in a storyline with Vince, you know it's going to be some insane stuff the entire time. Right. The entire time. And, and you get an opportunity. Like I go back to the point of saying it, it's, like work, it's, like, it's like getting a doctorate degree. I mean, Vince is the best at creating heat. There were certain things that he did, and I was like, they were beating my ass Every week, like Vince had me on my knees, slapped me and stuff like that. I'm getting just ripped apart. And it was just pure chaos. I'm jumping through cages, flipping over cars, trying to kill people. Um, and Vince, he just looked at me, he goes, when you give it back, it's going to be awesome. And that was it, man. And, and when I did, I mean, Vince was, what, 60, 70 years old at the time? I hit him with the chair like seven times. He trusted me, this big jacked-up green guy, to grab a chair and then beat the shit out of him with this chair. I was like, bro, this is amazing. Yeah. But you're learning everything like that, and you're learning how, how it is. And you're learning how to make the crowd want you to die so much. That's when you give it back to him. Right. And Shane was a part of it, too. Like, Shane loved it. Shane's awesome. Shane's, like, sending me pictures. He's like, look at this. When he jumped off the top and gave me the elbow through the thing and the coast to coast, <laughs> everything like that, I whooped your ass. You know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was everything that I – it was, like, just learning from the best. I mean, Cream, he, Vince, can, Vince, can, Vince can be the biggest heel or the biggest baby face when he walks out there. Nobody knows what he's going to do. Right. They say Vince is returning. You don't know what he's going to do. But you're going to have a huge reaction either way. He gets it. I mean, he's been around there the entire time. So the fact that he put me in a storyline with him and we ran it, I mean, I was just sitting there just watching and learning so much. Him, Shane, Maga, um, Stone Cold was a part. I mean, there were so many people that was a part, a part of this thing. It was. Do you have to be extra careful with him or is he saying, like, come on, give it to me? He's Man, he wants you to kill him. He does. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 was, I was scared. Like, when I started hitting him with the chair, it was like, and then it was like, all right, let me, let me try to hit him soft. Yeah, I don't need let another Jim Cornette moment. Right. Yeah. I, that's the last thing I needed. But no, he was like 
all for it. Come on, motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, oh, motherfucker, huh? <laughs> but it's, 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 I think that's what kind of helps me out a little bit now with my character is, is remembering that. Because Vince would always say, he was always like, we're not necessarily actors in the wrestling business. But what we are is you got to figure out who you are and turn the volume up. I know we've heard that a million different sure. times. But even when you hear that, you think, oh, I know who I am. I'm just going to turn the volume up. I'm Conor McGregor. No, you're not. It's, it's, it's almost like turn the volume up of who you think you are, but then also turn the volume up of who they think you are and kind of mix the two. Figure out what the perception is of you. Right. Yeah. It's like an equalizer, not just a volume button. This right. There's like the bass, the treble, and everything like that. you got you got a little bit here and a little bit here. You can't just turn this up because it'll sound like shit and it'll look like shit. Yeah. But if you turn a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, and you start getting it, then you understand it. And, I mean, like they say, is like in the wrestling business, you don't get it the first year. You don't get it the second year. You may not get it the 30th year. There's something in there that kind of like flips the switch where you start kind of, okay, I get it. And then you start kind of implementing that, and then you start turning it up a little bit more. So what is it like when you find out that you're getting the WrestleMania 23, you know, big poster? You know, you could call it a main event. It wasn't the last match. It wasn't the title match, but it was – it was the match. It was the match that Vince McMahon and Donald Trump were involved in. You find out you're getting that match, and, and then you're going to be working with the, with the Donald. The Donald. The Donald. How, did, you, did you work a bunch with the Donald? Did you talk things out with him ahead of time? Did you? I, I spent some time with him. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? I, I, he's awesome. Is he? Hate me now. He's awesome. <laughs> um, and you know what? Here's, here's with, with him, because they, they, I, I've been asked a lot about this, of course, now, because everything that's going on. He's the president. I don't know if you know that. But yes, he's actually the president of the United States. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me about it, and I said, look, I said, to be right honest with you, I'm going to tell you, when he came on, he's not a racist. I hate to burst your bubble, but he's not a racist. I mean, because I'm a black guy. And, <laughs> and he worked. Not I, just on TV, right? Yeah, not. It's okay. okay. But, you know, it, it, like, um, or I could be, I could be his, his card, his get out of. That's true. Get out of racism card. Yeah, yeah. I got a black friend. <laughs> you yeah. can tell the picture. Yeah. Everybody thinks I'm racist. Why don't you ask Bobby Lashley, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. He, you know, when they, when they asked me, I said, I said like this. I said because, you know, a lot of people when they come into the wrestling business that, like a celebrity or something like that, you, you want to know what, they're, what they, what they want to do. And with, with, with Donald, and I told him, I told everybody, I told the same thing. I said he didn't come in and start, like, pushing his way around. He came in and said, what can I do? How can I help? How can I make this better? He didn't tell me how to run the match. He didn't tell Vince how to run the show. He didn't tell Stone Cold how to ref. He didn't tell Shane how to. He didn't tell anybody how to do anything that they were supposed to do. He said, I, am, I can help. How can I help? Tell me how I can help. Wow. Because to make a machine run, everybody has to do their part. And if you try to step on somebody else's toes and do their part, then your part is going to be lacking and this, it's, it's going to fall apart. Yeah. He's not that. He was completely said, hey, look, what can I do? And then he had that one spot with Vince where he came in there and pounded Vince on his head a little yeah. bit like that. <laughs> and and that, that was a part of him saying, can I do something? <laughs> and, and Vince was like, you can take me down. And, <laughs> and, if, and, if, and if you watch it, <laughs> I, Vince thought it was so funny at the time because 
you know, if you if you go to punch someone, if you don't know how to throw punches, the hardest place to punch is on the top of the head. Uh-huh. So Vince kind of like tucks a little bit. <laughs> he sits there like this. That's what he got. And he sold his hand afterwards. I was right. like, that's awesome. But Vince but, was pointing the head down. So yeah. then he was, it's like, oh, I got him. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But, it, I mean, that that's how it was. It was, it was, um, <laughs> it was just him, him being a part of the story. And then afterwards, I saw he had a billboard in Times Square. Yeah, where I was at. I mean, we did stuff in Trump Towers. Man, we had yeah, so many views. That, I think I was at that press conference at WrestleMania 23 press yeah. conference in Trump Tower. Because didn't, didn't you put somebody through a table or I something? Put Vince through the table. You put Vince through the table. Yeah, we're sitting at this press conference, and it's a legit press conference. Like I was there because I was working for I think XM Radio at the time, and like. All the entertainment shows are there, and there's TV cameras and the New York newspapers. And at the end of it, you put Vince through a table. Right. <laughs> Impromptu. Is that right? Yeah. No. We had – I'm not I'm, – first of all, I'm not slamming Vince. Second of all, we're at a press conference. Regular table. He was just like I, – I think there was some kind of audible called in there. I was like, huh? So was Vince like yelling at you like as you're doing this? Like put me through the table. I mean, I remember there was no spot that I was supposed to put him through the table, but I think based on the way things were going, he needed the, like the icing on the cake. So I don't know who told me, but I was like, "All right, I just hope I don't slam him like Hornet, <laughs> <laughs> not now." So I just put him through the table, and and it, and it worked. I can't believe how fast this uh, hour's gone. We're almost out of time, but I guess uh, uh, two questions. Uh, the first is. Why, I mean, it seems like when you look at your WWE career and, and you think about it now in hindsight, like it still feels like you got fast-tracked way up there, like you're this big guy, like you seem like the guy that the company wants to go with. Why do you end up leaving the WWE in a way that in hindsight seemed super abrupt? Is it time yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there, there were some things that were going through at the time. I, you know what? Um, I don't know. You don't know? Yeah. You can't wait the hour out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all I, all I say is that, you know, it's, it's always, um, there's different circumstances that, that, that make things happen. There was a circumstance that kind of made it happen. But at the same time, I still had that competitive edge, and I wanted to fight. There it goes. I wanted to fight. I wanted to fight. <laughs> the ability to throw these things and beat people up. Do you regret up, so. doing it? Um, or or do, you, do the circumstances in hindsight not seem as serious, or do you still think it was the right thing to do at the time? I probably... That's a hard one. Yeah. Um, if if I could have, I never wanted to leave. Let's put it that way. Okay. I never wanted to leave, and and I think right now I still have good relations with with different people there. I'm, I still have good relations with Hunter. I still have good relations with Shane. Shane and I have been friends for a long time, and um, somebody's got to beat Brock. That's legitimate. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to. See, although there was there was a name you left out. I've still got good relations with Hunter and Shane. There was the name of a guy. Who no, Vince. Do, no, okay, no, okay. I, 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 no, Vince. I talked to Vince a while back. He's like, "Yeah, we go we go down to Denver." He said, "Man, we got to get a workout in." I was like, yeah, that's, that's great. You know, I'm stronger than you, right? <laughs> do you have any? Uh, is it a mixed bag of feelings knowing that a lot of people feel like the best work that you've done? has been outside of the WWE. I think most people feel that like yeah. the best matches you've had, I feel that way, have been some of the stuff that you've done in TNA. 
Um, and while that's amazing, because at this point in your career to now be having your best matches is kind of anything any athlete could hope for, but the lack of eyes... Can we showcase it? Yeah, it's got to be a little bit frustrating. Yeah. Um, I, guess, I guess when we're... Um when you're performers, you just want to perform with your best. Of course, you want to be in, in the big, in bigger stage. Like you don't want to have like a five star match in front of 500 people, right? <laughs> but um, I, I think I think for me right now, I, I think I have so much more left. Mm-hmm. You know, I just turned 25, so I have <laughs> a, a good few more years left. My bar, man, I tell you what, I'm I'm in really good shape right now, and I'm not saying this to kind of like toot my own horn, like. I'm really in good shape, like, as far as, like, physically, um, mentally, you know, everything together, everything's together in my life right now. I'm not just a young kid that's just going out there and doing, I think right now I get it, and I, I think that right now my um, my potential is through the roof. I think that I can go out there and have a match with anyone right now. I think I can go out there and have a match and make you guys love Roman Reigns and hate Whoa. me over him. I absolutely believe that. Use um, some of those Finley tricks, huh? I could do something. A little voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> you but think you could, you could get the crowd absolutely. behind Roman Reigns and uh, they hate you? A hundred percent. Oh, I'd love to see it. A hundred percent. I'd love to see it. So you could, you could see yourself back there at some point if, if everything lined up right. I think it needs to happen. Yeah, I, I think it needs to happen. I think, I think, I think, part, I think it's time. You know, part of, part of your career, there's, there's certain things that you need to make happen and, and – Damn tooth. Sorry, I lost a tooth, and it's hard to talk, so I keep sucking in. <laughs> so since we're almost to the end, I'm going to take it out and finish it. But, oh. There he goes. He took the tooth out. I'm still pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, um, I think there's just certain things that just need to happen. Like, I don't give a damn where it is. You know, with Mayweather and Connor doing that fiasco a few weeks back, uh-huh. Two organizations looked through and said, look, we can make some big money with this, so why don't we do it? And I think right now, um, the legitimacy of Brock, I think Brock is a match that I want to have. I've never met Brock. We've never crossed paths. You've never met him? Never met him. Never crossed paths. Wow. But I can post a picture of my kids on Instagram, and people are like, go back to WWE and go after Brock. I'm like, this is my daughter. What are you talking about? And so with that, I mean, there, there's a lot of different things that I'd like to do, man. In the wrestling business as artists, because I'm going to put it as artists and athletes, there's people that you really want to have that good match with. Yeah. I mean, AJ Styles is phenomenal. Fucking dog is Dolph Ziggler. He's trying to find his way. Man, somebody needs to do something with him. Oh, he's amazing. Um, Roman Reigns. Come on, man. I mean, I, I know a lot of people hate him. Everybody got quiet. <laughs> but yeah. you, you're quiet anyway. <laughs> but he's a, he's a friggin' star, man. The guy looks like a star. I mean, you can hate him as much as you want to, but there's a reason why you hate him because he's a star. Um, Brock, there's, 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 a, there's those guys in the wrestling business that I would like to be able to challenge myself to go against. And like you said, it, when I was in Impact, those, that was the opportunity that I had to really go out and showcase some of the things that I was able to do and learn. My match with Bobby Roode. Yeah. Amazing, bro. Um, amazing. Amazing. I can't say enough about him. He's going to be right up to the top in no time. Him, AJ. I mean, some of those guys, it's, it's phenomenal. I had an opportunity to work with those guys. Jeff Hardy, you know, I, I got an opportunity to work with him in, in TNA. Kurt. Kurt got me into the business. 
He got me into the business, like I said before. When I was in high school, I was watching him in college. When I was in college, I was watching him at the Olympic Training Center. When I was at the Olympic Training Center, he was in WWE. When I went to WWE, he left, he went to TNA. Then I went to TNA. He, he got out, started telling him he, he was going to fight. I went out and started fighting. He came back to TNA. I went back to TNA. And that was the first time that we met each other. He got me into business. I didn't wrestle him until 12 years into it. We wrestled in Manchester. It was a good crowd. Um, I, 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 man, I could go an hour with Kurt. We had short time. We were rushing everything. But that's another match that I would like to do again and really tell the story of it because I don't want Kurt to wrestle until we get that match that he brought me into wrestling for. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that I would like to get my hands on. And I'm not saying it's, it's, it's with Impact or with, with, with WWE. I don't care. I love wrestling. And, and I've learned to learn, love wrestling more. Do you have any idea what's going on with GFW Impact at all? Like, now we find out Jeff Jarrett's out. Like, I think, like, for fans that just kind of read this stuff, it's, it gets to a point where you're, like, exhausted trying to, like, <laughs> I don't understand. Is this a company? <laughs> yeah. Shit, I might be the writer next week. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's so crazy. El Patron came, he left, and he's come back, and he's this, that, and the other. It's just like one of those things where you have to just, I can't pay attention to politics. My contract says to go out there and perform, and that's right. the only thing that I can worry about. And hopefully my, my check's been coming every, every two weeks. And <laughs> I get paid, and, and I get to do what I love. So I, I can't. And if I need to make up the balance or make up the difference, then I can go and fight somebody and get some money and then come back. So. Well, this was, I mean, this was a super quick hour for me. I was, I was surprised when I finally looked down at the clock. Uh, and I feel like we only hit chapter one, so yes. we're going to have to get back together and do this again. Ladies and, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, yeah. yeah. down clan, there's a lot more to talk about, but we don't have time to do it. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you could join me in thanking Bobby Lashley for joining us today. Thank you so much, man. And thank you all for coming out. Uh, Here is Sam Roberts. Loved having Bobby Lashley on the show, and I didn't know him. You know, I didn't know him before uh, we had him on. It was the first time I had really spoken to him was that day at, at the Now Hear This Podcast Festival, and you can always tell when you have a great guest because you don't get to half the stuff you planned on talking about, but so many great stories of his days in WWE specifically and all the Trump stuff and everything. So big thanks to him, and make sure you give him a shout on social media or whatever that you heard him here on the show. You know, if you if you... Listen to that interview, and you hear all the fans there, and you're like, you know, that sounds like a great time. And I tell you, it is a good time. You can go on YouTube, and you can see the last show we did at the Highline Ballroom with Mark Henry. You can see the show we did at Caroline's with Sasha Banks and Seth Rollins. You can see what a fun time we have at these Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast live events. Lucky for you, you can be at the next one. We're going back to the Highline Ballroom. They've asked for more Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And boy, oh boy, are we going to give it to him. On October 24th, we will be at the Highline Ballroom here in New York City for a live Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, 8 p.m. start time. Uh, and my guest will be Bully Ray, formerly known as Bubba Ray Dudley. He will be there live on stage with me. And if you go to the website, if you go to HighlineBallroom.com, you can see that they have general admission tickets and they have VIP tickets. The VIP tickets, they have a backstage experience. They have... Uh, first row seating that's reserved. They have uh, meet and greets. They have all this stuff. And I am here to tell you that uh, Bully Ray, Bubba Ray Dudley, will be a part of the meet and greet. So if you get a VIP ticket this time, uh, you will get to meet myself and Bully Ray, get an autograph, get a picture, chit-chat about wrestling. You know, it's not some rush job where you're in and out, photo next, photo next. It's a, it's a true meet and greet for both me and Bully. So be there. And then, you know, Bully's one of my favorite 
in, uh, uh, interviews that I've done. He's one of my favorite guests on the podcast. That's why I've had him on a few times. And that's kind of one of the things that I want to do with this live Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast series is do a series of my favorite guests, but bringing the interview to you guys. So Bully Ray is going to be the one, uh, first one that I do this with, and it's going to be at the Highline Ballroom on October 24th. Make sure that you get your tickets now. They just went on sale at HighlineBallroom.com. Uh, I do want to say that we lost, to say a legend doesn't do it justice over the week. Uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan passed away. And Bobby the Brain Heenan is so, so special for a few reasons. And these reasons are such that there are some that apply to you as a kid watching Bobby the Brain Heenan. And there are some that apply to you as an adult re-watching what Bobby the Brain Heenan was actually doing. There was something about the WWF growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, there was something about the WWF that felt like it was magic. It felt magic in the WWF. And that had more than I think any of us realized to do with Bobby the Brain Heenan. You talk about a guy who was easily, and all due respect to guys like uh, Corey Graves, who does just an incredible job, Jerry Lawler, who is a legend himself, uh, a lot of guys who have done great color commentary. Macho Man Randy Savage. But Bobby the Brain Heenan is far and away the best color commentator WWF has ever had. He's the best manager that the WWF has ever had, WWE has ever had. And the things he would physically do in the ring looked more believable than most of what people do in the ring in the WWE. And it really is amazing that this guy was as talented as he was. You know, you would think it was hyperbole at a point, but it isn't. It's just honesty. This is a guy who, no matter who it was that he was interacting with, good guy or bad guy, he made the good guys look better, he made the bad guys look worse. And not in a way that isn't going to sell tickets, in a way that the bad guy looks like more of a bad guy and the good guy looks even stronger. Think about uh, uh, the the Big Boss Man storyline. Do you remember? Bobby the Brain Heenan spent weeks upon weeks insulting the Big Boss Man, insulting the Big Boss Man's mother. I mean going in on him every time the Big Boss Man was in the ring. And this is a delicate thing because when a commentator is degradating a wrestler, that can make the wrestler look really, really weak, right? Because this is a superstar, being talked down to by a commentator. But Bobby the Brain Heenan, number one, did it in such a way where it wasn't likable. Bobby was never afraid of the heat. Bobby did it in a way where where you didn't sit there and be like, yeah, but I just love to hate him. No, you hated Bobby Heenan. At the time, you hated Bobby Heenan because he made you hate him. He made it so that there were not likable features of him, and he did it on purpose. And what happened when he finally got in the ring with the big boss man? Boy, did he get his comeuppance. I mean, he sold everything the big boss man did to him to a T. He made the big boss man look a thousand times better by bringing him down. Bobby the Brain Heenan was never about getting himself over. A lot of commentators are about getting themselves over. A lot of managers have been about getting themselves over. And that wasn't what Bobby the Brain Heenan was about. Bobby the Brain Heenan was about entering into a situation 
figuring out what it needed to bring it to the next level and bringing that situation to the next level. And if what that situation needed was simply Bobby's presence, then Bobby would be present. And if what that situation needed was for Bobby to be humiliated, then Bobby would be humiliated. And if what that situation needed was for Bobby to do something drastic that made the good guy more likable, then that's what Bobby would do. He would not sit there and say, you know, just because I I have the ability to win this crowd over, I'm not going to. And it's not going to be out of pride. It's because the goal here on this show is for that guy to win the crowd over. So instead of me winning the crowd over, which I could be doing, I'm going to make sure that that guy wins the crowd over. And if a wrestler would, would, would put a finger on Bobby the Brain Heenan, he'd flip head over tea kettle on his ass. It'd look like the strongest guy in the world, right? It would, it, it, Bobby the Brain Heenan did this thing where he wasn't trying to be cool. He wasn't trying to win cool points with anybody. He, he, he was an artist in the way that he would, he would do things that would make it so that the statements he was making be smirching Hulk Hogan be smirching the ultimate warrior, be smirching the big boss man, be smirching Jake the Snake Roberts, be smirching any of the main, Roddy Piper. He would make statements that made it seem like he had no credibility, but he would never damage his credibility. Does that make sense? You would never question why that man was at the commentary table, but you would also allow him to say what he was going to say without it hurting the guy that he was talking about because that's the brain. That's the brain. He's just trying to stir it up again. And that's amazing. Not many people can pull that off. It's simply incredible. Bobby, he was able to make Ric Flair look better. He was able to make Haku look better. He was able to make Mr. Perfect look better. He was able to make the Brooklyn Brawler look better. And he did it individually. He catered to each of these guys' specific needs. Does Ric Flair need a promo guy? No. Does Ric Flair maybe need somebody that's going to introduce him to an audience in the WWF? Yes. So that's what Bobby did. Does Mr. Perfect need a promo guy? No. Does Mr. Perfect need a cheerleader that's there to sit there and be like, yep, he's right. He is perfect. Yes. So that's what Bobby did. We look at WrestleMania three, arguably the most important match in the history of WWF in terms of sports entertainment. In terms of being larger than life, we look at Macho Man, I'm I'm sorry, we look at Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. And the image that we think of when we think of Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan is Andre staring down Hulk, looking down on him as Hulk looks up. That's the image that you think about in the Pontiac Silverdome with 90,000 people. And the reason that that image is so special is because of the story that was being told and the build-up to that match. And the reason the build-up to that match and the story that was being told was so special was because Bobby the Brain Heenan was there making sure the story was told properly. Andre the Giant is as legendary as legendary gets. Nobody could understand a word he was saying. Bobby the Brain Heenan was there to make it clear what Andre's intentions were. And you believed it. And you didn't, you didn't, when Bobby did it, unlike most managers... When Bobby did it, you didn't feel like Bobby was the one getting the heat. You didn't feel like Bobby was the one getting himself over. You didn't feel like, oh, what I really want to see is Hulk Hogan versus Bobby Heenan. You, the, the heat that was being generated to Bobby Heenan, Bobby unselfishly threw right to Andre the Giant, threw right to Rick Rude, threw right to any Hercules, any member of the Heenan family. That's the guy that Bobby Heenan threw his reaction to. Because he was not a selfish performer. 
he was a guy that was not there to make sure Bobby Heenan had the best spot of the night. He was the guy to make that was there to make sure that Bobby Heenan was on the best show of the of the night of the week of the month of the year. That was Bobby Heenan's mo, and he and he did it to a T. You know, and 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 Bobby, if you watch his performances, not only could Bobby fit in, Bobby's the only guy. Put on a, a WWF show from 1989. Bobby Heenan is the only performer that could fit into modern day WWF, WWE. Bobby Heenan's the only guy that if you took a time machine and you took him out of 1989 and put him into 2017, he would still be the hottest thing on the planet. Because Bobby Heenan's timeless and not many people are. You know, we watch Paul Heyman. We watch Paul Heyman uh, uh, just this week on Raw and think about how amazing he is and how much he's done for for so many people and there's no and yeah you can't take that away from him you can't you'd be dishonest to i mean he really paul Heyman deserves that much credit you guys know i love paul Heyman. bobby heenan blows him out of the water bobby heenan blows paul Heyman out of the water and that's no small task and i bet paul Heyman would admit that you know every every promotion has had bad guy managers, has had bad guy color commentators, and all of them have on some level sounded like Bobby Heenan impersonations, whereas Bobby Heenan was, was an original. And he was amazing, and Bobby Heenan was so good. He was so charismatic and so quick-witted. I mean, there's never been anybody in the business as quick as Bobby Heenan. He was so quick that he could have hung in in any avenue of entertainment and been successful. He was he was Johnny Carson level charming and Johnny Carson level quick. I work with comedians every day and not open micers. I mean, the biggest comedians in the world on Netflix, on HBO, those are the guys that I spend time with every day on the radio. And I'm telling you that I know quick and I know wit. And Bobby Heenan belongs in that conversation. And I don't think, you know, there's clips out there. I was watching a video of, of David Letterman as a young man in the 80s, smoking a cigar and talking to Bob Costas about what an amazing talent Bobby Heenan was growing up in Indiana. And he's right. He's right. Because Bobby Heenan is the bad guy manager that we think about. Bobby Heenan is the bad guy commentator that we think about. We're all doing an impression of Bobby Heenan on some, on, on some level. He could have done anything, and as wrestling fans, we were lucky that Bobby Heenan chose wrestling because we got to have that gift shared with us, and it didn't have to be that way because he would have been successful doing whatever he did. I think that, I think that uh, everybody should spend some time going back and, and looking at the contributions that Bobby Heenan made and really, really thinking about them too. You know, this was a guy who, when he left WWF, he he decided to do it and allowed it to happen, just getting thrown out on his ass. This was a guy who, when they replaced him on Monday Night Raw, they launched Monday Night Raw, they replaced Bobby Heenan with Rob Bartlett, who I love as a man, but let's be honest, had no business being behind that table. Instead of throwing a fit, instead of doing a pipe bomb shoot interview, Bobby Heenan was part of the show. 
He said, what does the show need? It needs Bobby Heenan to be made a fool of because he wants to be on Raw. So I'm going to wear a dress and I'm going to try to sneak into the Manhattan Center tonight because that's what would be funny. That's what would be entertaining. That's what the show needs. Not me whining about my part, me, me, me. It's really inspirational. It's really life lessons to watch Bobby Heenan. Has nothing to do with wrestling. Bobby Heenan is life lessons watching him perform and watching what he puts in, not to him, but to the show. I hope that everybody spends some time uh, over the next few weeks watching stuff that Bobby Heenan did and paying attention to what his contributions were to the show. Because, you know, you can't say it enough. He was a one of a kind. There was there will there will never ever be anybody on that level. He hit the high mark, and then he split. There will never be anybody who's as well rounded and as good on all levels as Bobby the Brain Heenan. He wasn't there for him. He was there for the show, and he was better than anybody at the time, and probably better than anybody right now. When a guy's that good, it's easy to make it about himself. He could easily go in there and make it the Bobby Heenan show. But that's not what he did. He made the show about the guys that were in the ring. He made the show about everybody else. He saw guys that did not have his ability. And instead of saying, well, okay, well, then I'm going to do it because I do have the ability. He said, okay, no problem. Well, if they don't have the ability, I'll use my ability to make it seem like they do. And that's what wrestling in its purest form should be. That's what makes it a team sport. That's what makes pro wrestling a team sport. And Bobby was one of the great team players of all time. And as an individual, you know, maybe the most valuable asset that any team could have had at any moment in the history of this business. So thank you to Bobby the Brain Heenan for your contributions to sports entertainment and to pro wrestling. Thank you to the Heenan family, not the wrestling one, but the real one, for, uh, for sharing him with us. And uh, I hope that we all take any opportunity we can to, to let the Heenan family know how important Bobby the Brain Heenan was to this business uh, that we know as pro wrestling. I met Bobby Heenan once. I was, I was fortunate enough to meet Bobby Heenan. I went to an autograph signing. And this was after Bobby had, uh, he had, he had had cancer for a little while. He had already had his jaw removed. It, I mean, it was heartbreaking to see him with his jaw removed. Um, and at the time, I was going around getting guys to autograph a steel chair. I have like three steel chairs because I used to, uh, several years ago, I used to go to autograph sessions all the time. I went to all the Ringside Fest autograph sessions. I went to all the Legends of the Ring autograph sessions. I went to autograph signings all the time to meet wrestlers, to get him to sign my chair, to get photos with him. And I met Bobby and I waited online and I paid my money and everything. And I, I had my chair and I said hello to him. And I said, it's an honor, Mr. Heenan. Thank you for, for taking the time to do this. And I hand him the steel chair for him to sign it. And you know, the guy, he looks uncomfortable. He looks like he's in pain. He's got no jaw. He can't talk. You know, it sucks. And he waves, he takes his left hand up and he waves it towards me to come down to get close to him so I could hear. He had something to say. And I said, wow. And I lean into him 
And he goes, you know, and you know, it's, it's difficult to understand because he has no jaw. And he goes, you know, a lot of people ask me if I was ever hit by a steel chair. And I was like, oh, really? And he goes, yep. And I tell them, I've been hit in the head with a steel... I'm screwing up his punchline already. And he goes, and I tell them, I've been hit with a steel chair so many, so many times, my head smells like ass. And I was like, this is... This could be the perfect interaction. That a guy in this condition is 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 taking a moment because he thought of a one-liner as I handed him this steel chair and he wanted to share that with me. He still wanted to have that moment of 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 unleashing one of his zingers was just incredible. And to know that the spirit of that guy had not been dampened to 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 really get the get the impression that Bobby was still Bobby and that his nobody nobody had taken his spirit away from him was just it was awe-inspiring it was incredible uh, it was it was a, it was a dream come true and uh and yeah i i really uh i hope everybody uh takes some time doing whatever they do to appreciate Bobby Heenan you know i thought it was you know now that we're kind of i thought it was gross that like i was on twitter and i said i was gutted at the loss of Bobby Heenan. And I hadn't realized this, but JR had tweeted the same thing with the word gutted. And it was just kind of a, a, an awful coincidence. But I got a bunch of responses that were like, you stole this from JR. And I was like, come on, guys. Give it a rest, will you? Is that really what it's about? We're just trying to throw people under the Twitter bus in this moment. Does anybody really think that that's what I would do in this moment? It's like, oh, that's a good tweet. Let me get, let me get something out. I don't care about Twitter that much. You know, I care about this podcast far more than I care about Twitter. I care about communicating with wrestling fans and I care about communicating with people about Bobby Heenan. The only reason I post stuff is because people start tweeting me going, hey, Bobby Heenan's passed away. What do you think? And it's like, I want to put something out so that the the, the guys following me are like, oh, the people following me, I should say, are like, oh yeah, I'm with you. Or some people who didn't know or whatever. But but. Uh, I, I just I, I hope that people take some time to really uh, appreciate Bobby Heenan, even if it's just watching the documentary that's on the network, even if it's going through some old you know WrestleManias or the early episodes of Monday Night Raw or whatever you want to do. Take some time uh, to remember Bobby Heenan over the next couple weeks. Uh, there'll never be another one like him. Uh, and with that, we enter into this week's State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Here we are. Welcome. Yeah, it's the state of wrestling. Uh, and let's talk about what the biggest story of the week this week is in the world of wrestling, aside from Bobby Heenan that we talked about a little bit already. To me, the big story to talk about is WWE bringing Starcade back, it, 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 which is important. You know, WWE owns basically wrestling, right? WWE, when they went and they bought the tape libraries from WCW and from ECW, and then went through and started buying all the tape libraries of most of the relevant North American territories, they got to the point where they became the curators and the owners of wrestling history, which is a good place to be in for WWE. And, and as much as you're like, well, it starts to feel like a monopoly or you don't want one guy controlling everything, which I understand, I also feel like you want that history to be in the right hands 
right? You want the history of wrestling to be in hands that can showcase it and that can that can curate it properly and that can create something like the WWE Network where we now have access to all this tape and the WWE's amazing warehouse where all this memorabilia can be stored to eventually be on displayed in what what could potentially be some kind of brick and mortar hall of fame like i think it's it's important that all of that stuff get under one roof because we could easily just do WWE right WWE network could exist solely based on the WWE brand and just have the WWE pay-per-views and the WWE Hall of Fame could just be WWE superstars and the WWE warehouse could just have WWE stuff and everything could be fine but as fans we would all think about the other stuff that we grew up with that was around when WWE was also around because and it's never going to be like that again because even now of course there's other wrestling out there besides WWE you've got your your Global Force or Impact or TNA or whatever it's called. You've got your Ring of Honor. You've got your New Japan. You've got your Indies. You've got all these places, but there is no real number two. Like these are all sort of, oh yeah, that also exists. But in large numbers, you're not going, oh, you know, I used to watch WWE, but then I found this thing. Or WWE kind of feels second banana to this thing. There were a lot of places in the country where 20, 30 years ago, WWE was not your primary source of wrestling. It could be WCW, NWA, Crockett Promotions was your primary source. It could be, you know, depending on where you lived, it could be Mid-South, it could be World Class, it could be all these different uh, uh, territories that were your source for wrestling. I mean, there were even, there was a time when for a small number of people, specifically on the East Coast, ECW, was the primary show that they watched. You don't have that anymore. So I don't think that 20 years from now, and I'm sure that WWE will eventually buy the TNA tape library just to have it. And I'm sure they'll buy the Ring of Honor tape library just to have it. And I'm sure they will get that stuff, but that stuff 20 years from now will not be as important as the stuff from 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Because 20, 30 years ago, you were dealing with promotions that were looked at as on the level of WWE. And that's hard to imagine in this day and age, but it's true. And you look at some of the brands that WWE has and that WWE has used from WCW. Because Starcade coming back is that big of a story. Uh, I think right like a day before WWE announced that Starcade was coming back, it was reported, I think on Pro Wrestling Sheet, that WWE was tossing around the idea of bringing back specific and certain WCW brands. And there's a lot of them, and some of them are worth bringing back, and some of them are not. You know, there's always been that question, for example, why has the War Games match, the match beyond, why has that never entered into WWE? And I would imagine that the reason there's never been a War Games type matches because look, even the cage now is far more easily constructible because you can lower it from the ceiling now. You don't have to, to build it or whatever. So you could do it. But I would imagine it's because the WWE doesn't want to put on a show where for the entire night, except for the main event, you've got a spare ring just sitting there. It's probably the same reason why they wouldn't put on World War Three, the 60-man three-ring battle royal ever again 
because it's odd to have a pay-per-view where you've got two extra rings just sitting there kind of dimly lit for the entire night. Like logistically, it doesn't make any sense. I would advocate for never doing World War III, the 60-man three-ring battle royal ever again. I think it's silly. But I think that at some point, I still believe at some point, there will be a return to the War Games match. I think too many people remember that too fondly. And I think that that's the one match, high-concept match that works that has never been played out uh, in, in, in a WWE, well, in WWE rings as a kid. I was going to say in a WWE ring, but you can't do a War Games match in one ring. That's ridiculous. So, of course, we've got Clash of the Champions, which is a, a brand that WWE uses now. But, the, the, but something WWE, I think, needs to do is establish what these brands are. You know what I mean? Like, like, like turn them into a big deal. Spend some time educating the people as to how important Starcade is. Now, we don't know if Starcade's going to... I would assume it's not a pay-per-view. It's not on the calendar to be a pay-per-view. So the question is, is this simply a house show, a non-televised event in North Carolina in Greensboro? Or is this going to turn into a network special? I would imagine that this will turn into a network special. And... I think that the way to do it is to take it apart. Like you're using SmackDown talent, but I think you almost have to make it like a one-night special. Not so much like we're building towards Starcade, because it just kind of comes out of nowhere otherwise. I think Starcade almost needs to be this sort of unique one-night festival of wrestling and, and that is that is deeply rooted in the tradition of Starcade, that the night is more about celebrating the years, the history behind the Starcade brand, and not so much about the matches themselves that take place. Because you look at the card, and the card looks great, but at the same time, it, it's the storylines that are being played out on SmackDown television right now. Like, it almost makes you think that, how is, is there going to be any mobility on SmackDown between now and and the end of November, two months from now, which is when this Starcade show is. Although card is subject to change, so who knows what'll happen. Um, but I think that, that, that I think it should be a network special. And I think the WWE should spend some time putting together video packages explaining why Starcade is such a big deal. Growing up in New York, Starcade was not a big deal for me. It wasn't. I, I wasn't aware of WCW until sometime in the 90s. So the history of Starcade was not a big deal. But I think that it doesn't hurt WWE at all, since they own everything now, to be honest about history and say, yes, WrestleMania is the granddaddy of them all. Yes, there is no, no way around the fact that, Wrestle, that, that, that it doesn't get more important in this world than WrestleMania. However, Starcade for a long time was pretty damn important. And, and get into the history of it. If you leave it up to the WWE universe to just kind of educate themselves on Starcade and just find it, then you're running the risk of fans going to the WWE network and watching Starcade from like 2000 and 1999 or something and and really getting a, a bastardized view of what WCW and Starcade was all about as opposed to going in through the classic Starcades, the late 80s Mainly, I would say, focusing on the mid to late 80s. That's when Crockett Promotions was really hitting their stride, and that's when Starcade was 
up until then, the biggest wrestling show of the year. So that I think is what is what you have to focus on. The fact that this used to be the biggest wrestling show of the year, specifically to the area where you're holding the show. This is a throwback to the way business used to be. And that's something that, that you can't, it can't be understated or overstated. It can be understated. You run the risk of it being understated, but it can't be overstated at all. It's so important. And and I think you can look at brands. You know, I, I think, do I think Starcade should come back as an annual pay-per-view? Probably not. You know, I don't think so. I, I think that it's had its time and I don't think that it does anything for WWE now for in, in 2017 or next year in 2018 to add another big pay-per-view like Starcade because really if you're celebrating if you're bringing back Starcade to do what Starcade did then it should be on the level of the big four not a Raw or SmackDown exclusive show because if it's just a Raw or SmackDown exclusive show on the level of a Hell in a Cell No Mercy big shows but not one of the big four then you're really just using the name Starcade and if you're just using Starcade simply for the name and not actually instilling any of the history behind the name then it's not so much worth doing i don't think you can come up with a name i mean they got all kinds of people to come up with names they come up with names all the time great balls of fire if great balls of fire and starcade are on the same level of pay-per-view then it's probably not worth doing starcade but you can create a special you can you can take a house show and air it live, and that's why I think that the, that it needs to be a show that is about Starcade, not necessarily about the matches taking place. Um, I think that they should do the same thing with Clash of the Champions. You know, Clash of the Champions, as much as Starcade didn't mean a ton to me, Clash of the Champions did because Clash of the Champions was on free TV. I could watch Clash of the Champions, and I did watch Clash on TBS, and it didn't feel like Clash of the Champions, even though it was WCW's answer to Saturday, night, Saturday night's main event, it was bigger, much bigger. To me, it felt like I was watching a WCW pay-per-view. I didn't order the WCW pay-per-views growing up, but I watched all the Clash of the Champions. And that, in a time when WWE was dominating pay-per-view markets, Clash of the Champions was, was as important as it got. And I think that that should be talked about more when it comes time for Clash of the Champions. You know, I don't know, Fall Brawl, nah. Halloween Havoc, I think, is a good name. You know, I think Halloween Havoc is one that if you've got a pay-per-view in late October, I don't mind you calling it Halloween Havoc. I don't think it does anything. Although, if WWE brings back Halloween Havoc, they've got to spin the wheel make the deal. I mean, this is raw roulette to another level. Uh, and and you got to make it disappointing, too, like WCW did. I think it was 92. They had spin the wheel make the deal. It was Cactus Jack versus, not, no, it was Jake the Snake Roberts versus Sting at Halloween Havoc, 1992. Jake Roberts' first big match in WCW. And you're looking at this wheel, and it's got all these insane matches on this jagged wheel that looked like a, a saw wheel. And you're going, oh, man, how are Jake the Snake Roberts and Sting going to settle their differences? Well, I'm going to have to buy the pay-per-view and watch them spin that wheel. And they spin the wheel, and it's a coal miner's glove match. It's the equivalent of it's the equivalent of a nightstick match, except it's a glove that's made of metal. Coal miner's glove. I would love to see a coal miner's glove match in WWE, but that can only happen in Halloween Havoc. If you spin the wheel, make the deal. 
I'd be all for that. I think that, yeah, the war game should come back as a specialty match, but I think that, like, this is an opportunity, and you have to be careful how you market these things, right? Like, there has to be a difference, because you've got so many pay-per-views. Why not do a, a, a couple of, of house shows that are shot live for television and put on the WWE Network? You know, I don't think it's a bad thing, but you have to market them as as such, you know? You have, to, you have to market them as these are not pay-per-view specials. These are special events, you know, like the, the, the Madison Square Garden show that had Brock Lesnar and Big Show on it. They tried that with the first roadblock, but that was before one of the WrestleManias. It was the, the show that Triple H and Dean Ambrose fought on. But that ended up feeling like, like kind of like a pay-per-view. Like it, it became difficult to determine the difference between, between that and a pay-per-view. You know, I, I think that, that it's key that you that you take a show like that and you turn it into something that is obviously not a pay-per-view, that is a, a televised house show, almost like a Clash of the Champions would be. Um, and I think that's what you do at Starcade. I think you can do that with War Games. I say, why not? Maybe you have to wait till next fall because War Games just feels like a fall thing to me. But do a show. You don't even have to call the show Fall Brawl, but do a show somewhere down south and put a War Games match on it and then show it on the network. You know, you don't have to make it a pay-per-view. You can just make it something that adds to a storyline that's currently going on. I'd say do it for SmackDown because Raw's got so much TV as it is, but you could do it for Raw too. It wouldn't bother me one way or the other. I just think it'd be cool to do a show like that. And I think that the, that those WCW concepts are, concepts are best utilized in that area because I think it's something that WWE could benefit from putting on those special televised house shows. And I think that a lot of those WCW concepts that are kind of recycled from history, I don't know how much they do for pay-per-view for WWE. You know, I think WWE pay-per-view should be about moving forward. But if we want to do a special where we celebrate history, let's do a special. Why not? I mean, you could put the war games on on an episode of Raw, but I don't think you want to do an episode of Raw where you've got two rings next to each other, you know? I think the Great American Bash should come back. I think Great American Bash is another one that it didn't mean a lot to me as a kid, but in going through the history, you see how important this show was. I think Great American Bash should be a show that happens in WWE every July. And that can be that can be a brand exclusive show, whether it's a SmackDown show, whether it's a Raw show. I don't know why the Great American Bash is not done every year. I think that that, just as a name, you know, I think that, that that should be. I think Great American Bash and Halloween Havoc could easily get done every year, as well as Clash of the Champions. Why not? You own the names. I know you didn't create them, but you own them. So you might as well use them, I think. Speaking of pay-per-views, we got a big one coming up this weekend. I'm going to be in the house for it. Uh, no way out. I'll be doing the pre-show for. And I'm so excited to be doing the pre-show for this one. Because it's one that like you can hype up and really, really believe. Like, let's talk about the fact that I think a lot of us are still in awe that these matches are happening at a pay-per-view this soon. You know, No Way Out on paper is looking like a big four level. Like, if you took the matches that are happening on No Way Out and those matches were the matches representing the Raw brand, you could easily put that on any of the big four pay-per-views, including WrestleMania, and nobody would be upset about it. I thought Roman was was great this week on Raw. Um, I, I think it's time for the match because I feel like you're getting a back and forth 
happening that is starting to feel familiar. And what you don't want is that. You want it to feel spontaneous. And as much as it's like now when you watch, it is absolutely stuff that, you know, is kayfabe, is stuff that, oh, I didn't think they were going to say that. Oh, that's not supposed to be on TV. So it's still working and it still feels like that. But it's obviously everybody's in on it now. It's clear that everybody involved is is in on it, and and so now we're just storytelling. So it makes it so that we, we're not quite suspending the same disbelief that we were. You know, it's not, this isn't, you can't do the pipe bomb every single week and expect people to believe that this is still a spontaneous thing. Like, it doesn't take much away from the fact that Alex Riley got mentioned on TV but I think it was clear watching that that Roman Reigns didn't just think of Alex Riley, that this was a, a thing that was worked out ahead of time and everybody knew that he was going to mention Alex Riley. So it doesn't feel quite, it doesn't have that quite, I mean, that, that first promo, think about it. The, the first week was the tag team match that happened between John Cena and Roman Reigns. And people started talking about it like it was real. John Cena didn't look interested. John Cena doesn't want to deal with Roman Reigns. The following week, the promo between Roman Reigns and John Cena, where Roman Reigns started to flub and John Cena hit him and then Roman Reigns started calling him a bitch. Like, that felt real. That had a lot of people talking. And I'm not saying that's gone by any stretch of the imagination. I think that this is going to be... I'm so excited to witness this match. Uh, I don't think it's going to disappoint. I think it's going to feel real as you're doing it. I think John Cena and Roman Reigns are both going to put everything into this thing. And I think the lead-up has been absolutely tremendous for it. But I definitely think it's time for the match to happen. People want to see it. A lot of talking has happened. I do think that there's going to be an amazing video package shown before this match based on the footage that we've had for the last five weeks or so. Uh, but I think it's I think it's really going to be something. If I had to predict, I would say Roman Reigns is going to win the match um, because that, I mean, why else would the match be taking place this soon other than John Cena is going to go away and Roman Reigns needs to come out looking like a million bucks. You know, as we move through the crowd, I mean, the, 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 the card, can I tell you that Brock Lesnar is definitely going to retain the championship? No. I can't say that that's a definite. Would I be surprised if Braun Strowman won the title? Yeah, I'd be surprised. Would I be shocked, flabbergasted? No, I could see it happening. And that's what you want. You got Brock Lesnar in a match against Braun Strowman. And it's like so many Brock Lesnar matches, you go in simply knowing that Brock Lesnar is going to win, especially when they're one-on-one, right? You go in and you're like, well, you know, obviously Brock's going to win, but it'll be fun to watch. This one? No. People are are genuinely interested in it. And Brock Lesnar will probably win the match. But stranger things have happened than Braun Strowman winning the title at No Way Out this weekend. So that's really what's got me hooked. I tweeted out something uh, over while I was watching Raw. And I stand by it, but let me explain it. Because some people thought I was right on, and some people thought I was out of my mind, and some people thought I was... I don't know, kissing ass again, like, come on, guys. But I said, and this was, I got more tweets about this than I did about people thinking that I was taking JR's verbiage for Bobby Heenan, which is insane. But um, what I tweeted was that Charlotte, uh, I'm sorry, that Sasha Banks, by the way, Charlotte's book is great. You got to get it. 
really personal, really surprising. Um, but I got some I got some feedback because I said that Bailey and Sasha Banks had mega powers like potential, and this could be an amazing story. And some people were like right on, and some people thought I was being blasphemous, and some people thought I was being a shill. Like I was like, hey, WWE is great, and Sasha Banks and and Bailey are like Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, and they're awesome. Like relax, guys. I'm talking about storytelling here, as I'm always talking about. Do I think that Sasha Banks and Bailey are this generation's Hulk Hogan and Macho Man? No. I do not think that Bailey and Sasha Banks are this generation's Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. That would be extreme hyperbole for me to make that statement. I think the world of Sasha Banks, I think Bailey is phenomenal. I think that they're both great and have the potential to be even better. I do not think that they are this generation's Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage have spots on pro wrestling's Mount Rushmore, both of them. And they were a tag team, and they wrestled each other, and they were there at the same time, and they still both belong on that Rushmore, as far as I'm concerned. Two of the greatest by all time, they should be in your top five. If they're not in your top ten, I don't even want to talk to you that level of good. I am not sitting here and telling you that Sasha Banks and Bailey are the next Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. What I am saying is that Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax, for example, the story between those two has always kind of been this thing where, um, well, they get along, but do they get along? And they're friends, but Nia Jax wants the title. But it's never really been established what their relationship is. It, it was never established that they were best friends. They never spent any time on TV really delving in to the relationship. It was almost this thing of like, okay, well, we've all seen Nia Jax and Alexa Bliss hanging out on social media, so it's going to make it interesting when they finally get in the ring. And that's fine. I'm not against it. But that's like a, a quick fix story. That's a story that goes from, you know, no way out until the next pay-per-view. Like, it's, it's right there. We're not spending any time on TV creating this bond because we're using social media to create it for us, which is fine. It's 2017, and now we're going to go straight into, you know, this is an interesting match because if you look on Instagram stories, Alexa Bliss and, and Nia Jax hang out a bunch. Fine. But I'm talking about richly thought-out, deep storytelling, soap opera-level storytelling. It has been, I think at this point, years in the making. It has been established that Bailey and Sasha Banks are friends. You've sat there and you've waited for the Sasha Banks turn for months and months and months and months, right? You've been sitting there waiting for the turn and it hasn't happened yet. But all this time, we have been establishing that these two are great friends. So, at some point... This turn could happen. And we're, we're looking at it now like Bailey and Sasha Banks are still working together. We've gotten to a different place now where I think that the money move is to have Bailey turn on Sasha Banks. And if you have Bailey turning on Sasha Banks, you have the potential to do it in such a way that we're really, really invested and involved. You have, whether it's on purpose or accidentally, now built a foundation with these two as friends 
for months and months and months and months and months and months, which means if done correctly, the payoff can be great. If it's something that we're looking at doing anytime soon, I think we need to spend some time hammering home the friendship that these two have. I would have neither Bailey nor Sasha Banks walk out of the pay-per-view with the women's championship. I would have one helping the other or, you know, but the reason that neither one of them is walking out is going to be because of them. Because I think you've got this scenario where Sasha Banks and Bailey can do something that in the women's division is oh so important, which is have a storyline that does not revolve around the title. The title itself creates its own storyline. So if you can do a thing where you can have women in a program that is not centered around a championship, well, now you've got two, two big rivalries in the women's division on a single show, which is amazing. It's always great when that happens. So why not have a thing where coming out of the pay-per-view, Nia Jax and Alexa Bliss are at odds, and we slowly start to see this thing happening between Bailey and Sasha Banks, both of whom people do care about. You know, as much as they've been, both of them have been up and down and we don't know and ah, they're both cared about so much. We also know, based on NXT Brooklyn TakeOver 1, that Bailey and Sasha Banks have the capability to put on an all-time classic wrestling match. So when you've got the ability to put on an amazing match, you've spent months building foundation that this is a friendship, and they've had their, their, uh, their matches, they've had their battles, but it's always been as friends. It's always been just business. If all of a sudden it gets personal, oh, do you have a story? And that's what I'm talking about. When I say mega powers level story, I'm talking about the story that existed between Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and the way we all watched them come together and then fall apart and it was done over time and everybody was invested into it and it meant something and it was important. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, the idea that this is going to be, you know, WrestleMania 5 main event. I'm just talking about the fact that you have the opportunity to tell an amazing story between Sasha Banks and Bailey. And this is easily something that even if you start planting the seeds now, no way out, end of September, these two don't have to have their big one-on-one match until at least, you know, you could do it until at least December. You could even push it to Royal Rumble if you wanted to. I don't think you can go all the way to WrestleMania with them not having a match unless... You really play this breakup out, which you could do. You could spend another two months not having them break up until Bailey finally turns on Sasha, because I think that's what you need is Bailey turning on Sasha Banks, which would be so poetic because you've got Bailey who has so many times taken her ring attire and her entrances and and and, and used Macho Man Randy Savage for influence. We know what a fan of the Macho Man Randy Savage Bailey is. So the fact that she would be the macho man turning on Hulk Hogan in this scenario is very poetic. But you can do it the same way in the sense that Bailey is not just going to go, hey, Sasha, I decided to beat you up because I'm on my own now. I don't need you anymore. No, 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 no. 
You do it in such a way where Bailey doesn't feel like she's the bad guy for doing it. Same with same way Macho and Hogan did it. Bailey feels justified in doing it. Bailey feels betrayed by Sasha Banks, even though we, the audience, are going to be sympathizing with Sasha Banks and think that Bailey's out of her mind. That's the way to do it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it done. Shinsuke Nakamura after SmackDown to me is in a very odd spot. You know, I I saw the promo. I know a lot of people are talking about it. Oh, and before we move on from Raw entirely. Um, you know, I, I I thought that the opening of Raw was a little bit wonky. And it does go with what I was talking about last week. Like, I do think... I think that the way these shows should work is SmackDown, because it's a two-hour show, should end with the biggest storyline possible at the end of the show, which they don't always do. And I think Raw should end with a secondary storyline at the end of the show and have the 10 p.m. hour end with their biggest storyline, which they have been doing kind of, and they kind of did this week with the Roman Reigns promo, even though it wasn't a match. But my only problem was that they still did that thing where even though it was a secondary storyline, they had the Miz and Jason Jordan open the show, bunch of stuff in the middle of the show, and then they had the Miz and Jason Jordan close the show, which still feels formulaic to me. Um, but I'm interested in seeing what happens uh, between those two at, uh, at No Way Out. I think it's going to be a, a cool match. Oh, I also think before we move to SmackDown, as far as Starcade goes, you got to get Cody Rhodes in for it. You know, they, uh, uh, there was all this talk, you know, Cody Rhodes tweeted about Starcade to Michael Hayes, and then Michael Hayes on Twitter invited Cody Rhodes to go. I don't think this, uh, let's not get over the top. You know, I don't think this is the spot for the Young Bucks to make their debut. You know, and, and I admire Colt Cabana for saying, let's all just go to Starcade. But, <laughs> and why not? But I do think that it would be cool for one night only. And that's why it's not a pay-per-view. It's a house show, but it's televised on the network to see Cody Rhodes uh, in, the w- in a WWE ring teaming with Dustin, again, without the face paint on. I think it could be cool. All right. Shinsuke Nakamura is in a weird place. Look, the, the, the Jinder Mahal anti-Japanese promos are really weird. And I, I, I'm, I watch them, and I'm like, what are they doing? Like, what are they doing? And then I kind of understand. I'm like, okay, so this is Jinder's way of taking these, these things that he shouldn't be saying, but then attributing them to the jingoistic fans of Nakamura that you can't trust. So he's not saying these things. He's saying that the audience are saying these things, and that's why he's mad at the audience. It's a stretch. It's a stretch because you've still got the video and the audio of the words coming out of Jinder's mouth. And in 2017, it might not fly right by everybody. To me, I'm thinking in terms, uh, and, and like I probably, if it were asked of me to do it, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable doing it because like, what? What are we doing? All that said, if we're just talking strictly about wrestling, Nakamura is in this spot now where the stuff that Jinder has said about him, the racial things that he said about him, like Nakamura needs to come and knock his head off. He needs to tear his throat out for what Jinder was saying about him this week and last week on SmackDown. Karate Kid references, you know, doing the accent, doing the, like... 
He, he needs to now turn around to make this right. Nakamura needs to leave gender in a heap. And I don't necessarily see that happening. I don't think that Nakamura is going to leave Hell in a Cell with the championship, which is going to make it like, you know, what do you, then why did we, why did we push the envelope that far? If you're going to push the envelope that far with promos, then I think the payoff has to be a part of it, right? If you're going to push the envelope that far, then the payoff has to make pushing the envelope worth it. And I worry that it's not going to be at Hell in a Cell. That said, you know, it's certainly going to make people want to see Jinder get his ass beat. And that's a good thing because Jinder is a bad guy and Nakamura is a good guy. But now Nakamura really has to hurt Jinder. He's got to. In order for everybody to feel right about it, Jinder has to, has to, has to get destroyed. So we'll see if it happens. And we got, a, we got a few weeks before Hell in a Cell to talk about all that. Um, as even though it wasn't technically, I, I'm, again, I'm, on SmackDown, I would want to close with Jinder and Nakamura in some way, shape, or form. But, you know, I thought that last shot of Charlotte, Charlotte is so good, man. That last shot of her pointing at herself at the end of the show was like, yeah, that's what a champion looks like. That's what a next level performer looks like. And it was a subtle thing, but the implied confidence, the, the comfortability uh, uh, in the ring, in front of the camera, the whole thing, it was just like, yeah, now I remember why spe- people speak so highly of Charlotte. You know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's important to recognize that stuff because she's been gone for a little bit. And since coming to SmackDown, she hasn't had that moment to shine. So, you know, I think this is going to be it. I really do think this is going to be it. And I'm really looking forward to a, a Natalia versus Charlotte match because that match, even more than the stuff that was going on with Sasha Banks, the storyline with Sasha Banks really made Charlotte stand out in NXT. But the match that put Charlotte over the top was that first one that she had with Natty uh, at one of the very, very early takeover shows. That was the match that really made a difference and that is the match that I'm really looking forward to seeing revisited. You know, I think it was great. I think it was great. Uh, beyond that, I just hope everybody's getting behind uh, Kurt Hawkins right now. Because man, oh man, does Kurt Hawkins make you believe. Kurt Hawkins makes you believe that he can get the job done. Whether he can or can't, doesn't matter. Kurt Hawkins makes you believe that he can. All right, I'm going to wrap up uh, State of Wrestling in the podcast for this week. Don't forget to tune in to the No Way Out pre-show Starting at 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network, I will be there uh, along with uh, uh, my usual cohorts on that panel. Also, don't forget to get tickets now. Bully Ray, FKA, Bubba Ray Dudley will be with me at the Highline Ballroom, October 24th here in New York City. You can go to HighlineBallroom.com right now. Get your tickets. For those of you asking, yes, Bully Ray will be with me for the meet and greet. So if you get VIP tickets, You'll get a chance to hang out with both me and Bully before the show um, and then uh, and then get the primo seats in the house. So go right now, HighlineBallroom.com, and be a part of, uh, of the next big Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast live show. It's going to be a lot of fun. I promise you that, and I will see you next week here on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 
Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.